podcast world. NAWTC.com. Get signed up. 2019 North American Whitetail Championships brought to you by Michael Waddell and the Bone Collector Crew. 14 regions across the United States and Canada. $300 gets you entered to try to qualify and win $50,000 cash money. When you do sign up, that $300 automatically gets you an entry prize valued at over $300 with a Gator Coolers tumbler cup, a Tacticam camera for all of your hunts to set up and do some POV point of view camera. Whether you're hunting deer, turkey, waterfowl, those Tacticams are pretty slick and they let you go back to the lodge or the camp and relive your memories and have them forever. It's also going to have broadheads, peep sights, a bunch of accessories for your bow. So the NAWTC, the 2019 North American Whitetail Championships, 14 regions across America and Canada, brought to you by Michael Waddell down there in Booger Bottom, Georgia, the Bone Collector crew. We all know Waddell. We all know his passion for archery whitetail hunting, the 2019 North American Whitetail Championships. It's all archery, all bow and arrow, tree stand, ground blinds. It doesn't matter how you do it. Stay safe, stay ethical, keep your morals, and let's make sure that we keep hunting in this lifestyle and this culture at the forefront. It's a blessing, it's a privilege, and it's not a right. So so let's remember that when we go into these type of competitions. But myself, I believe it. So tell them Chad Belding and the Banded Foul Life crew sent you the North American Whitetail Championships. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast. And back in the studio today is one of my best friends in the world. His first podcast, which only happened less than a month ago, got such rave reviews across the country because of his knowledge of the fight game, his knowledge of the human game, the work game, the business game, the family game. He does it all. Scott Shaleen, welcome back, my brother. How are you doing, bud? Glad to be here. Oh, man. I, uh, I was... I was really excited to cook you lunch today. How was the tacos? You know, it was amazing. It's, if you could tell me what kind of meat it was, I might have more compliments for you. That was something else. <laughs> I like I like how you do things. I'm sure Clay was out there working real hard on the Traeger. <laughs> and then and I then stepped come in. in. Right I come in. You put your uh, you put your bib on just in time and stand in front of the skillet. Hey, what else can I get for you? In the last slice with the knife. Oh, beautiful. No, that was some good pork. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, Bacon-infused pork on the Traeger with uh, two rubs. One side of it was the whiskey bent rub, uh, rub that he had, that Chad Ward has for his pork, and then the other side was the pork and poultry by Traeger. And you just you know massage that in there, cook them until they're about. You serve them at right around 345 to 300. I mean, you cook them on 325 degrees, and you serve them at right around 145 to 160. And I'm telling you that knife that knife cuts through that pork, and then you wrap it with a little bacon and what, and then that sauce that I made up. And that sauce was mainly based with another Traeger, one of their their, their sauces, their barbecue sauces. So, Al Qaeda tacos. What do you call them? Al Qaeda tacos. Al- Those are delight. <laughs> Something else. I might put that on the menu. Oh man! No, I'm excited to have you back. The last time we talked. We, we really talked about a lot to do with the fight game, which we're both passionate about. And since then, you participated and were, were at the NCAA National Championships. What, what, is the, what is boxing like in, I've talked to Gilbert about it, and you know, in this part of the world, you have to go through the academy, right? The Air Force Academy, you get anywhere in the nationals. Nevada always competes. Is it their conference? Is there a conference out here that UNR, University of Nevada, Reno is in? They're all... Um they're all private clubs now, unfortunately, now that college boxing, the NCAA can't sponsor boxing anymore. Um, they're all in private clubs. The military institutions have quite an advantage because if you go to a military institution, you're required to take a combative sport, whether it be boxing, karate, I believe they have taekwondo, but they're, 
they're very limited options and you have to take a bad of sport. A lot of kids, um, you know, gravitate towards boxing. So a lot of times when you're f facing the Air Force or Navy, Army, you're facing a, a team with, uh, you know, a guy in each weight class, which is a heck, heck of an advantage. You don't have to have any forfeits and lose any points. For a team like Nevada, it's very difficult to fill out a whole team. They've got a weight class, you know, they've got too many weight classes to fill. Um, so the, the military academies certainly have an advantage uh, when it comes to filling out a team. So did you, know? you did you and our did they represent themselves well this they, year? They really did. They they had a kid, uh, Davis Alt. Uh, his uh, Chris Alt is a uh, very famous in the football world. He created the pistol offense. He uh, was the head coach at the University of Nevada for many many years. He's now um, over in the uh, Italian league. He's still uh, undefeated over there and, and, and doing a great job. But he's, he's most well-known. He's worked for the Kansas City Chiefs and a whole bunch of um, organizations in the NFL because he did invent the pistol offense. His grandson, Davis Alt, uh, was one of the boxers this year, 132-pounder. Had a tough chime at regionals, actually had a cold at regionals, had a very, very tough opponent in this kid from the University of Washington. This kid looks like he's absolutely built out of chiseled out of granite if it was a bodybuilding competition davis would have definitely lost this kid is tough and he's mean looking anyway i saw davis beat him in reno i wasn't at the regionals davis lost to him in regionals with a cold which means for the nationals you're fighting all three nights now now you don't have a bye now you fight thursday friday and saturday so davis beat that kid from washington on friday after having a pretty tough fight on thursday the, the washington kid because he beat him in regionals when davis was sick and no excuse there this washington kid is tough no matter what even if davis was at full strength it would have been a good fight but that kid waits for you doesn't have to fight on thursday now you fight that kid on friday um and he hasn't fought yet and so that was an absolute war i unfortunately wasn't able to be there but I was there for his uh, final fight on Saturday, which was a great fight as well. Um, Davis just is such a great kid. He represents everything that the Nevada boxing program should represent. He's such a nice young man um, and, and just a great, it's, it's, I love the fact that he has a famous last name in the Northern Nevada community. Um, that'll certainly do well for, the, for, for boxing, for recruits. You know, it's one of those things, unfortunately, because of his, or fortunately and fortunately, because he has a famous last name, um, he's, he's splashed onto the front page of the paper right away, you know, which is a great thing for the exposure for boxing and everything else. So we'll take it. Um, so, you know, couldn't, couldn't be better. Um, I'm hoping there's a whole bunch of kids at the university of Nevada that say, Hey, that I went down there, saw it and, and I want to be part of it next year. Yeah. And also that could bring a lot of pressure to a kid like that, having to fill those shoes that Chris, you know, Chris was, uh, very well-known NCAA coach, and he's he's coached at University of Nevada Reno for I don't even know what year he started, but back in the Chavez, Folger, Lucius Floyd, Eric wow. Beaver days, all the way through the mid '90s, had a stud daughter that was a track champion in high school, and now he's got a. This is his grandson. Wow. What are what are his what are this kid's tools? What is he? Has he got body shots? He got a good hook, good he's jab. Just tenacity, I would say, tenacity and aggressiveness. I mean, he just it's it. He doesn't um, jump off the page at you. You know, he doesn't have great power. He doesn't have a great jab. He doesn't have great quickness. He's just an absolute worker bee. I think he'll develop all those things. You know, by the time he's a sophomore, junior, senior, he might be tipping people over. Right now, he's just, he's, he, he's the more aggressive fighter. This kid from Washington probably had more physical tools, better boxing tools, a better left hook. Davis just walks right through all that and just keeps after, you know. It's a point system just like every other boxing fight. But... You know, the, the more aggression you show, I've never seen him take a step back. 
You know, he's just that type of fighter that's just constantly after you. So it's an interesting thing. You know, you can't be a four-time national champion without winning the first one. So he's got that out of the way. But like you said, now he's a marked man. Nobody knows who Alt is. You know, there's if you're an avid football fan, you might know that Chris Alt created the pistol offense and do all that homework before you watch this fight in Berkeley of this Davis Alt kid. You know, my point is he's he's probably more famous in northern Nevada, so nobody knows that. Oh, I can't wait to 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 fight Davis Alt or whatever else. Now you're a one-time national champion your freshman year. When you're a sophomore, you are absolutely a hunted man. Which you know he's prepared for. He said in the in the RGJ, he's he can't wait for that. And that's what a true champion is. You know, he, he actually, that was his quote is, well, I'm excited about this, but a true champion is coming back and repeating a championship. So I can, you can assure, you can be rest assured. I'll be running every day in the off season. I love that. You know, are there, when it comes to the college fight game, you know, when you start talking about high powered, high calibered programs like Air Force, like, you know, UNR, UNR's had a pretty stout boxing club for a long time. Are there stoppages? Are there knockouts? Or is it always just a couple rounds to one round kind of victor, you know, judges card kind of deal? You know, it's funny. It's funny you asked that because I was talking to Joey Gilbert about that right right after the, at the Nationals this year, a couple Saturdays ago. And and literally what I what I said to him was, you know, Joey won two national championships at the University of Nevada too. And three. Uh, was it three? Yeah. Okay. Three. Uh and, and I said, well, you know, his were stoppages. Yeah. You know, and that's exactly what he said. He said, well, yeah, I've had, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, it was three. He said, I, I, I stopped all three guys. I said, man, that, that was a little different than, I don't know what it is. Um, but, I think they you know, were all Air Force guys too. They were, the- yeah. I mean, Ryan Simpson used to stop people and Joey stopped people. This kid, that the kid that had a couple years ago, JJ Marano used to stop people. There, there, there are guys that, you know, stop people more than others, but it's, it's interesting. They, they have a, a very they stopped the fight earlier these days. It just, for, for one reason or another, you don't see that happening a lot. Yeah. You know, that's what I with, saw up in the college boxing ranks this year is that, and last year is that there's just not many, not even in the heavyweights and the one eighties and the nineties and the, the heavyweights, there's no stoppages anymore. Right. I don't know if that's because they, you know, the, the kids boxing skills are getting better or if, if there's nobody in the tournament that could break an egg if they threw it or you know, I, what I that, think you know? what Gilbert had going for him is he had what you talked about with all he even when he fought even when he fought Brett Brinkley that fight should have been stopped we all know that I tell Joey that all the time what he did that night to you know to show people what you know true tenacity is but his body shots is what stopped fights oh, he would literally break ribs and absolutely. people couldn't breathe anymore fighting him I mean he'd absolutely. hit him so hard in the gut I always, when you're watching a good fight like that, and I, that Brinkley Gilbert's a bad example, well, let's just take a fight like that, and somebody goes, man, what a fight. You go, who, on what side? Yeah. Are you impressed with the guy dishing out the punishment or the guy taking it? Yeah. You know, I'm more, I mean, who's tougher? I, really? I, 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 Definition Joey, of toughness. I mean, Joey who, says that he's had conversations with Jesse since where Jesse said, dude, you had me. You hit me with some jabs yeah, that staggered me later on in the fight. And Joey says that the and he goes, if you would have stayed on me, I'd you would have, I'd have been done. And Joey says I couldn't stay on him because I couldn't breathe. Right. He had no air control in his nose because his nose was shattered. Mm-hmm. The pictures after that fight were just like. But that's the thing about the 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 character that that sport builds. 
of hopefully it builds into an athlete, like what you're talking about with Alt and his dedication. He's coming from athletic royalty in a way to where he probably has some expectations. I'm not saying his family puts pressure on him, but that sport is one that is going to test you in every way because either you get hit, it's easy to be tough until you get hit. You always hear that. Then when you get hit in boxing, you got to figure out your breathing and your vision, your timing, your stamina, your lung capacity, your breathing, your airflow. And then after all that, you got to have defense. And then after defense, you got to know how to throw a punch and you got to land that punch. And so you put all that together. That's kind of like the, the most, that's why they call it the sweetest science because you can't miss any parts of it or you're going to get knocked out. Right. And it's, I, I always used to tell, you know, kids, whether it's basketball, baseball, whatever you're coaching, it's like, hey, there's, there's very few things in any sport that you can control, but those things that you can control, you damn well better control. Yeah. Your shape, your strength, all those things you can control. You can't control your height or your, you know, for certain, certain extent, you can't control your athleticism. You can become more athletic, but a lot of that stuff is God given. So the very few things that you can control, you better control them. You know, and, and that's just, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, the one thing you wouldn't want to do if you're in a boxer in a situation like that is, is, is not being good enough shape to sustain it. You know, you're, you're dragging your hands because you feel like you're not in good enough shape. I mean, the thing about boxing is you're not in shape. You're, uh, you're not paying attention to your defense or anything like that. What happened? You don't get taken out of the game by your coach. No. You don't get. You don't strike out. You don't miss a layup because you don't have any more legs. You're staring up at, at lights. You're out. You know. You're absolutely out. So, um, that's that's the beauty of of the sport, right? That um, if if you take shortcuts, you're going to get tipped over. You can get hurt bad. Yeah. You know. You you can't take shortcuts in boxing. You know, any other sport, if you do take some shortcuts, it might not be as, as prominently displayed as in boxing. And that's or, what I mean with boxing UFC. is that it's sport that teaches you shortcuts get you nowhere, you know, kind of right. deal. Where Tyson would always talk about how the fighter, his opponents felt before the bell went off. Like you think about the fear. I, I wanted to bring this back up because Gilbert said this. He goes, everybody judges Tyson, his career, you know, his, I'm talking his early career, his success. That Some of the things you hear about and I never really broke down this part of career because I'm always so pissed off and adamantly pissed off about how his career went after Buster Douglas and the rape conviction. All that. You think about how he was 19 and 20 and 0 and he was the undisputed unified heavyweight champion of the world at 20 years old. I've said that a thousand times. That's people are like, you're wearing us out about Tyson, but think about this. Everybody's always like, he was fighting slaps, you know, slouchers and nobody. I'm like, no, he wasn't. He was fighting the best boxers in the game to the point to where people like Michael Spinks, who was undefeated at the time, got knocked out in 91 seconds through the ropes, and he was out, he was beat before the fight started. He was scared out of his mind. Larry Holmes talked smack. Larry Holmes was 36 years old, but Larry Holmes never ever got touched like that and knocked it in the fourth round. He was a, so I always tell people, dude. He was beating Tony Tuckers and Bone Crusher Smiths and all of the studs of that era. And here's the the kicker that Joey brought to brought to fruition, Chad. He wasn't just fighting the the main guys of that generation of that time in boxing, the number one contenders in the world. He was dismantling them in a matter of seconds, and and literally what he did to Razor Ruddick twice, like he literally destroyed that guy's in 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 a matter of minutes that nobody else could do. So that, that kind of showed me like Mike Tyson's training process with cuts. And then when he got with Kevin Rooney is that the shortcuts, he never, he tells you in his book and his, in his playwright, all the things that he did on, on Broadway is that shortcuts were never an option for him. And that's when he would go in there. He goes, I knew nobody could beat me because I never took shortcuts in training. 
Well, it, it is a funny thing you say. Well, uh, you know, Pete, you you hear that about Tyson. Well, you never had never had a rival. It's like, well, because he vanquished all of them. You know, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Ken Norton, uh, George Foreman. You had all those. Those guys all lost to one another. You know, so that's why the, all four of them are considered great. It's like, who's to say Razor Ruddock or Pinklin Thomas or Bone Crusher Smith or, you know, one of those guys, he just didn't give him that room because he knocks the guy through the rope in the first round. It's like th- those guys could be very good boxers, but because he beats them twice with the Razor Ruddock or whatever the situation is, when you're that good, everybody, you can, cons- you know, everybody starts to consider everybody around you maybe like, well, maybe these guys aren't, maybe, maybe that's the thing is these guys aren't up to task. Like Joey exactly. said, these guys are the number one heavyweights in America coming off Muhammad Ali. Yeah. It's the most, it's the, it's back then it's, it's the, uh, the, it's the thing that all tough guys want to do. There's no UFC. There's nothing like that. Being the heavyweight champion is being the baddest man on planet Earth. Yeah. So it's not like you're missing anybody. And it was time for Ali to be replaced. It right. Was oh, you're, to the end but of you're not tenure. missing anybody. No. It's not like guys are over here doing UFC and maybe he could have beat Tyson. There. They're, They're all, all there. there. And that's when and heavyweight. He that's when. They, that's when heavyweight. There was way more heavyweights back then than there are now. You know, back in the day, from Ali through the '80s through the early '90s, I I often ask myself this: is Bo, or Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield, if they fought Tyson between the years of 86 and 90, I personally feel like it wouldn't have been a fight. I, I think Lennox Lewis is a hell of a fighter. He proved that. But what he did to Tyson at after prison and what Holyfield did in the ear and all that stuff, that just, it's, it's easy for somebody to sit back and go, that wasn't the real Tyson. I truly feel that. It's like one of those careers where I'm like, dude, they should have put that Holyfield fight together when they both weighed 205, 215, when Holyfield was a light heavyweight, and then he, uh-huh. when he first moved to heavyweight. Uh-huh. I just don't think he could have beat Tyson when Tyson was Tyson. No, I don't either. I think there's a Tyson before Cuss and after Cuss. You know, as soon as Cuss Mata died, I think, um, you know, obviously some things in his personal life started to get jumbled up. But then you look at his life after Cuss, what do you have, two or three fights that, that he was still undefeated in after Cuss? I mean, things kind of fell apart, you know, that, that was a tough emotional time for him, I think. And, um, I, he just never, it was never the same, never the same personally or professionally. No. And, uh, you know, just, I always, that's what I always wonder about his career is if Tuss would have, Cuss would have lived for another 10 years, what's that look like? You know, does that get him to, uh, adulthood or at least enough of adulthood to, to maybe not make some of the transgressions he did later on in life? You know, does, that gets him to, 30, 31 years old, you know, does that completely change the rest of his life? I think it does. You know, I think Cuss is the only guy in the world that can grab him by the ear and say, hey, come here. You're not, you know, you're messing up here. This is not, this is not how we roll. But, um, you know, and, and then uh, Jim Jacobs dies of, dies of cancer six months after Cusser, you know, very shortly after that, dies of pancreatic cancer, you know, so it's, it wasn't like, you know, Jim Jacobs says, hey, I have cancer, boom, done. Yeah. You know, he's gone. So, so and his two King. guys, you know, his two guys are, you know, yeah. And then Don King comes in to save you. Yeah. And that would be like, that would be, if, if I died today and then Don King's going to be uh, my three kids stepdad. Oh, okay. I'm fine. Don yeah. King, Don King step in. Everything will be perfect. <laughs> yeah. It ain't going to happen. Yeah, no. I, um, He's not on the list. But if you, if you think, if you compare it to anything that's being done athletically right now, like what Tiger just did, Tiger comes back at 43 years old, wins the masters after everybody counted him out like he's done he'll never win another major now he'll probably have a good chance to tie nicholas or beat nicholas who knows but oh i like his chances 19 years old and 20 years old that's one year out of high school tyson probably really didn't even have a high school right he was in the gym 
we, we all know what he did in his amateur career. I don't care what happens when you're 18 or 19 and you're that celebrity with those Rolls Royces and those Bentleys and those girls and that money and that notoriety, buying six Tigers in one day, all that shit. I just look at it as I don't know if there's anybody in the world that could handle that on an individual level like that. And I'm not making excuses for the man, but when I was 18, I was walking around in La La Land on a college campus going, hey, man, this is great. I don't have to go to class if I don't want to. And I, and I'm, and I'm, I got a baseball scholarship and I get to go to the lunchroom and eat as much food as I can. You know, Tyson's going, oh, yeah, this. And like he's in India doing shit and he's in Turkey. I mean, it was just a different life. I, I hate the, I hate the, the what has happened that, that he, he was regarded as what his career ended as. And I think he's done a good job of re, Re, uh, oh, rebuilding yeah, his image and has. redoing this. I don't want to stay on Tyson too long, but it's just one of those deals to where when Joey was talking about cutting corners to you and, 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 and in life and boxing will not allow that. It just won't. And it, no, and I, and I'm proud of you and R for what they do in that club. Your uncle's been associated with you in our boxing club forever. Yeah. Yeah. He's been coaching there for, Oh boy. I don't even know over 30 years. I mean, it's been a labor of love for him. They got a great staff down there. Mike Martino, Dan Holmes, um Pachaline, they do a great job um i'm missing a name i'll come up with it later but uh yeah it's it's a great club we we've uh moved locations down there on fourth street um it's a great place to be they uh, uh they've got amazing stuff on the walls good good history on the walls now good mirrors for the kids to shadow box the uh, bathroom's pretty funny. It's got a uh, UNLV mascot on the floor, and you know we're kind of wrapped around the urinal. <laughs> so um, no, it's a great place to be. And and the uh, like I said, it's a club sports. We're constantly doing things to raise money for it, and we try to pay for the kids. Uh, we try to put them on scholarship when we can. You know, scholarship for their classes and then books and whatever we can. We've do. helped raise some um, money for that. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, too. the sons of how old? How old is Alt? He is a freshman. So he's 19. Yeah. So, so imagine that kid that oh, just won his first NCAA title being Tyson was a undisputed champion. I'm not taking anything away from all, but think about when you walk into that UNR boxing gym and those 19 year old freshmen and sophomores, Tyson was the undisputed champion of the world in the heavyweight. I mean, it's just a different mindset, dude, to think about what that means. Oh, I, I, always, I, the, the way I do that is I just, like you just did, I put myself where I wasn't 19, Yeah. you know, and you go heavyweight champion of the world yeah. are you kidding me i was there's trying. pictures of him when he's 20 holding up a hundred thousand dollars for bonuses for different things that don king would promise him if he did in a fight and the i i don't know i don't we can get off it but the other thing that happened since our last I was, deal I was, was trying to figure out if i had hair everywhere <laughs> yeah probably, exactly 19 19 like. is so young and since our last talk unr was involved in, in the march madness and they did not do very well eliminated in the first round against the gators yeah Muscleman gets a call. You're going to Fayetteville, Arkansas to be the new head coach of the Razorbacks. He was coming on the podcast to talk. And then all of a sudden, Oh, was he? Yeah. Now all of a sudden he's living in Arkansas and we lose another basketball coach. Trent Johnson left. And then the, whoever, what the, who was it right before Mark Johnson, Fox. Mark Fox. And we, it, like a little, yeah, right after Johnson. And it's like a little stepping stone school to where uh, they should have. They should have played better. Even though Georgia's a tough, tough team, and Florida. I don't know or Florida. I'm sorry. I have. I know nothing about basketball, but I do know they had a good defense. But UNR, man, they were just up and down all season. It was kind of a weird deal. But losing the coach. Now I hear we're getting the UCLA guy, or did we get him? You yeah, know? Steve Alford. I think it's an upgrade. I, I, I really do. I think Alford. Alford is saying all the right things. He's saying he wants to be here. This is his last coaching job. 
Uh, he signed a 10-year contract. His wife and him are, are high school sweethearts. They grew up in a small town in Indiana. They both went to Bloomington, Indiana together to, you know, he graduated from Indiana University, won a national title there, obviously. With Bobby Knight? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's a small town kind of guy. I mean, I think Northern Nevada might be a perfect spot for them. They might fall in love with this community. It's easy to fall in love with this community. And his kids are all grown. His, his kid, his son, Bryce played for him at UCLA. He's all grown up and out. You know, that's one of the things, if you bring small children in and you're coaching, you never know what the kids might like, the community or my life, you know, that might be, but that's not going to be a problem with Steve at all. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about it. He's won everywhere he's gone. He's been to the sweet 16 everywhere he's gone. You know, he's got that experience of winning the national championship as a player. He was at UCLA and had a top five recruiting class two out of the last three years at UCLA. So he obviously knows how to recruit on the West Coast. You know, he's got connections in L.A., which the last time Nevada had any success, we had, a, you know, big, big L.A. recruiter and David Carter with Mark Fox and Trent. He worked with those guys and he was he played at Dominguez down in uh, down in L.A. And so he had a good L.A. connection for L.A. players. LA is a good spot to recruit players, obviously. So I, I'm more than excited about Alfred. I, I like the way he coaches. Um, I thought he got a raw deal down there at UCLA. He went to the, what did he go, Final Four, Sweet 16, then he was 7-6 and six this season. He fired him midseason. Yeah, that was To fire weird. a guy like that with, with – uh, he's just so good ethically and just such a good guy. To fire a guy at 7-6 and six is, to me, that's garbage. Yeah, there's been a lot of seven and six teams that went on to win a national championship. You know, um, when we won a national or a state championship in 2008, we were uh, four and seven, I think, at one point. You just never know what's going to happen in a season. Sometimes you're seven and six, and you're seven and six almost on purpose. It's like, yeah, I haven't played the starters the last six games because they're not listening real well in practice. You know, who seven and six and you fire? I just that's perplexing yeah, to me. I'm glad they did it. You know, I'm yeah. glad they did it now because. I think the fact that he had quite a big buyout from them, you know, probably could have taken this year off, might have helped Nevada and get him. You know, he has, he's leaving UCLA with quite a bit of money. So um, I'm excited about it. I really am. I mean, it's that coaching world's a nasty thing. Why you know? do you like basketball so much? You know, I don't, it's just so fast paced. And, um, you know, I just started falling, falling in love with it when uh, my brother and I were coaching and, and, um, I just, I just like the, the fast pace. You know, I, that's the one thing I struggle with with baseball is the, you know. The lull. The lull in the game. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I like the adjustments you can make in basketball, the way you can affect the game. I mean, same things, same things you like about baseball. The interest, you know, all the, all the little things you see in baseball is the same things I see in basketball, really. And is it, safe, is it fair to say that I should proceed this by – I really don't follow basketball, but it's when I saw the teams that were in the national championships and Virginia won it right again, they um, did. it seems like the talent pool is getting more spread out to where Duke's always there, North Carolina in Kansas, in, in uh, Georgia tech, maybe Gonzaga, but it seems like UNR and, and these, there's a bunch of talent that's come, that's, that's in college basketball. Now that's making it a little bit more, is it, Fair? I don't not say fair, but a little bit more uh, even even talent wise, as far as there's not a shoe in to win the national championship because like Duke had the number one player in the country, right? Oh, and yeah. they didn't win the national championship this year. No, I think the the transfer clause is certainly helping. You know, it used to be that a coach could transfer, just like if Alford could have quit at UCLA, which he did, and he was fired, and then coached in Nevada this next year. Well, just let's take Musselman. He quit at Nevada, 
he's going to go coach at Arkansas. He, he doesn't have to sit out a year. It used to be prior to last year that if you're a kid, in, in, unless your coach changes, but if you're a kid and your coach doesn't change, this guy recruits you, you go there, you're not getting any run or you don't you, you, you're just not getting along with coach, whatever you want to transfer, you can transfer, but then you have to sit out a year like the Martin twins did in Nevada, everything else. They were on the bench for a year. Then they got to play for us for two years. That rules changed. You don't have to wait anymore. So that certainly shifted the dynamics of, especially in Nevada, you look at Nevada's roster, we had, you know, the Martin twins are re originally recruited and originally went to NC state and ACC school. That's a good deal. You know, Caroline originally didn't go. Those are all transferred kids. The kid from old, old, Trey Porter from old dominion. Um, those kids are able to transfer over and play. So that evens the playing field a little bit. Um, the thing that was so intriguing about this year's national championship, I picked Virginia to win the last six years in a row. And I didn't pick them this year because I finally gave up on them. They won't be able to score enough points, but I was so in love with the, the fact that the two teams that play the best defense were in the final. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing, especially when you're coaching youth basketball to, to look at the kids and say, you know, it's, it's the same as every other sport defense wins championships. Right. Um, so, so that was a, an, an exciting tournament for me. The, the final game actually turned out to be pretty exciting, even though the both teams are known for being defensive juggernauts and not scoring above 60 points. It actually ended up being an exciting game too, but I love Tony Bennett and that baseline defense he runs. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it, it, it's exciting to see the best defensive team win and go through. And even though they weren't the ones that beat Duke, it's just exciting to see that you can have that flash and pizzazz of a Duke and have the number one player in the country. They might have the number. They certainly have three guys on that team that are going, going to go in the top 10 in the NBA draft. Three out of the top 10 picks were on Duke's team this year and uh, they didn't get it done, which, which bolters the fact that it's a team game. And so going into the title game, you had, you didn't pick Virginia this year? No, because I did the last six years. I've been in why love did with you, why, did, why, did, why did you think they'd lose? You know, year? them losing in the first round last year, they were a number one seed last year. And for the first time in NCAA history, they lost to a 16 seed, 16 seed. And the only reason why they did, they still played good defense that night. But I can't remember what it was. I think they lost 58, don't they quote me, score. 56. They didn't score 60 <laughs> points. And I said, you know what? I've done this the last six years. I love Tony Bennett. I love the baseline defense. They just can't score enough points. They're just not ever going to be able to score enough points to win five of these games and get a national championship done. So I finally give up on them. There, there you go. You know, that's what you give, get for giving up. So did you, who did you pick to win it this year? I had Duke. Yeah, you know, Duke. I had Duke. I watched Duke. Who beat Duke? Um, who did beat Duke? I can't remember offhand. Texas Tech? No. Um, sorry. Well, did they, did Texas Tech that. beat them to go to the final? That might have been it, huh? Did they lose in the final four? No, because Duke? Duke didn't go to the final four. Oh, they, they did. Lost they lost the, the final eight. four. Michigan State. Oh, they Michigan lost State. Michigan State, yeah. So you're a dad and a coach. You have daughters and you have sons. One daughter, two sons. With what just happened with the number one player in the world in the WNBA. I don't know if you saw this yesterday. Number one player in the NBA or the WNBA. She won the player of the year last year and MVP of the league, highest paid player in the league. And, and she gets over in Europe and she tears her ACL and she's out for the entire WNBA season where that's her bread and butter. So all of the talks going on that I'm hearing are 
Well, if you pay these girls what they're worth and you make this a legit sport where we can fill the stands and sell merchandise and sell a Coca-Cola and some popcorn and make it more legitimized by bringing in more of a business, you know, business group to run the deal, then you won't have these ladies that have to go supplement their income over in Europe. Gabby Williams, who's been on the podcast, is a stud from our local area. She was in Italy. That team went under because of some embezzlement with the owner. And now she's in, then she came back here for a week and then Spain called her. And then she's got to come back and play for Chicago. My, I'm not sitting here saying the WNBA is everything. I don't know anything about it. But it's there are women professional athletes that play basketball. The pay is not there. What are your thoughts on your daughter comes up and she wants to be like her daddy and her brothers and all these athletes. And then she goes and she, she can't make enough income not to go. Now she blows out her knee playing for a team that probably really didn't even matter. She just needed to make the money. No, I know. That's, I, I, that would be a wonderful problem to have. But, uh, yeah. but no, they, I mean, unfortunately it's just, it's kind of like the UFC, you know, you got to build it. And unfortunately you have to build the fan base has to be there. You know, it's not, it's not, the numbers have to be there. Like you said, everything has to be there. And it's just for one reason or another, women's basketball is one of the greatest things to watch pure. You know what I mean? They, they play a, a almost a pure game. Men's basketball now is, has come down to a lot of athleticism and, you know, you get a bunch of uh, very highly athletic um, guys out there that don't necessarily have the best fundamental basketball skills. You know, a lot of times you mix a very athletic guy with good basketball fundamentals and you got something going. But a lot of guys, even in the NBA, can get away with just their immense athleticism. And the women's game, it's more back to the fundamentals. And I don't, you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of athleticism, are you kidding me, that goes along with that. But but they just play a more, I don't know what you would call it, it's, it's, a, it's a more fundamental game. You know, it's, it's kind of the way the game was, was drawn up years ago. It's almost like the stands the, are freaking, the men's The side. stands are empty, though. Yeah, and I, I don't think know what, what I'm you read, do about I think that. what I'm reading into it is that when you go to a men's game, you're going to see an alley-oop, 360, right. Tomahawk, oh, Akeem Olajuwon, Dominique Wilkins, Spud Webb, 5'6", Duncan. And I'm not saying that women aren't great athletes, but is it the excitement level that's not drawing the fans? When you go to a when a when you go to a regular season NCAA Division One women's basketball game, I've been to them here, and there's not a lot of people in the stands. Okay, so I'm asking you this: during the NCAA championships for women, the March Madness for women, do they pack the house in those championship games? They don't. They they do for the championship games. For the Final Four, the the attendance looked pretty good. For the regional games, no. And it's just like UConn, you, you know, Gabby yeah. went to UConn. UConn is unbelievable. The, the tradition that Gino's built there is just outstanding. The governor, you're not going to believe this. I don't know if you saw this. The governor of Connecticut tweeted when UConn got eliminated from, from postseason play from the, from the men's yeah. tournament or whatever, tweeted whatever, hey, have, good job, great season. One of the UConn players, which is pretty hysterical, kind of retweeted him or whatever and said, Hey, there's a women's chance. There's a women's tournament going on too. That, you know, we're still playing, you know, this guy had to, cause he, cause he said Connecticut basketball, sorry to hear Connecticut basketball is done for the year or whatever. He, he probably said. meant and she said, or did well, he... well, she kind of said, Hey, Connecticut basketball is still alive. If you want to watch some more Connecticut basketball, the women are yeah. you know, in the elite eight or whatever. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's yeah, like, come on, bud. To, not well, good. especially if you're the, you're the governor of Connecticut. I mean, everybody knows the university of UConn, because of the women's basketball team. 
I mean, that's that you know that that's the legendary program at the University of Yukon. He probably looked at his team and goes, "Where were we on that one, dipshit?" Oh, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> Who let me send this tweet out? Oh, those, those yeah, his handlers. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Who Absolutely. let me send this tweet out? Oh, can you imagine? But I, I just, I just, when I hear that, like, I don't. I'm not saying I feel sorry for. Her. I'm just wondering, like, if they made a couple hundred, if they made a court, she makes fifty three thousand dollars a year in the WNBA. Now, there's not as many games. There's not as much income coming in. Is, but as far as like, I wonder what it would take to get it to the next level. And that's not for you and me to decide. It, it, it might, it, the UFC all, was a great champ, a all, great I swear, example. all it takes is more eyeballs. That's the good news. The thing, UFC is a great analogy in a way because you were, and don't take this the wrong way, we were forced to watch all the women fighters on UFC, right? Yeah. I got to be honest with you, I was rolling my eyes a little bit yeah. until the fight started. Now women's fights are, I don't miss, I don't miss a woman's fight on yeah. UFC. I might, you know, that, those are absolutely my favorite fight, but I was exposed to it. I, I, I didn't want it. Yeah. You know, I was force fed into it and that's how I was exposed to it. Women's basketball is a different story. I've always loved women's basketball. I'm a big basketball guy. Anybody that likes basketball likes women's basketball. So we don't need the basketball fans that like men's basketball to start watching women's basketball. That already happens. We somehow need to grab a bigger audience. You know what I mean? They, they need to be exposed to it more. They, okay, you know, then they, what, the, what, what does that bring as far as the talent pool goes is that when you watch these women fight in the UFC and Holly Holm can roundhouse kick Ronda Rousey in the head and these other Brazilian girls are doing unbelievable chokes and submit, then the athleticism of these fighters is on a different level. These little girls that are fighting in, these, in, this, in UFC and Bellator and all this. In five years. Is, yeah, in five years. And everybody's got their opinion of Rousey. She's a sellout. Well, hey. I don't care about her. I don't care. She came in and she exposed something to where all these other women flooded in. Now, here's the deal. She was winning and she won the title and she was a bronze medalist judo lady, judo medalist in women's judo. Of course, she's going to get beat when all these other women have the opportunity to come and fight now for what Rousey was doing. I'm not saying that she was the only one doing it, but dude, she can't get the bad rap of she's a prima donna because she left the UFC. And I've oh, heard no. that. I've heard that from several people like, what's up with her going and being in the WWE? And I'm like, uh, because she needs to make a freaking paycheck. And, oh, yeah, and some of my favorite athletes in the freaking world, Junkyard Dog, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. You want me to keep going? I can name them all, dude. The British Bulldogs. When the British Bulldogs would come into WrestleMania, dude, me and my brothers would be like, what else is there? We went to freaking MGM before the G when the GSR was called the MGM. Andre the Giant's fighting Genghis Khan. What happens? Genghis Khan spits the green stuff in Andre's face. He freaking gets blinded. He comes back, beats him. No, not Andre the Giant. Freaking Hulk Hogan. Andre would have drank. Yeah. The next week, the next week, the same fight in Pittsburgh or somewhere. He spits the stuff in Hulk's eyes. He comes back and beats him. It was fake as shit, but I loved it. I'm, I'm, where I'm going with that is, yes, she's a real-life fighter that is a fake as shit wrestler now. But the athleticism that it takes to be a WWE superstar, Kurt Angle was a gold medalist in wrestling. He tried the UFC. He's a superstar. John Cena is an unbelievable specimen. My point is, is that I don't think that you can consider them a sellout for what she's done. I'm getting off track there a little bit, but she opened the door for a lot of women to come into mixed oh. martial arts and combat sports. But my, my prior point was what is exciting about women's basketball? And I'm not being a dick. I just want to know now 
this player of the year that just got hurt, they were showing her highlights, and she freaking just oh, they three ball. points. They, oh, ball. they ball. Now, is it exciting when you go and watch it? Is it is it oh, fun to sure. go? That's what I'm saying is I don't, I've never been to one. I've been to maybe a couple NCAA games. I've never been to a WNBA game. I don't know if the, what the culture's like, what, what the atmosphere's like in that stadium. No, that's the thing. You can go to a, a girls' high school game, and it's the talent level is astounding, and it's, it's good basketball, even here locally. Um, because there, there's no difference between, you know, the girls and boys. They all start playing when they're in third grade. They go to travel teams. They, you know, play a lot and a lot of basketball, way more basketball. Like when we grew up, you know, the, the, the girls basketball there, that left a little bit to, to be desired, to be honest. You know, they are there and, and not to be uh, rude, but they all practice just like everybody else practiced back in the day. It was very limited. You know, you didn't have these basketball travel teams or anything like that, so they get that much less exposure, so they're that much less talented. You know, it's, it's pretty simple. These days, these girls know how to play because they've been playing since third grade. So it's an exciting game at the, at the high school level, college level. By the time they get to NBA, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, then if why, I lived in Then a, why don't people want to watch it? I can't answer that. Why don't, don't they know. get the big TV Maybe contracts? They, why don't advertisers want to well, be Well, that, that, and that's the whole thing is because the stands are not full, and they need to address that as to, you know, what, what needs to happen there. You know, I mean, I, I don't think it's all about the slam dunks and you wouldn't want to change the game or anything like that, change the hoop height or, you know, but I don't know what the answer is. If I was a commissioner of the WNBA and um, looking, I didn't realize that their players had to go over to Europe still. I didn't even realize that. I thought they were paying substantial enough contracts in the NBA where the girls could stay in the continental U.S. all, all year. That's ridiculous. And have a regular off season and enjoy Oh, absolutely. If, no. I was a, if I was a commissioner of that league, they obviously need to look at some things. And I don't know how drastic you need to get, but I mean, if the, you know, what, what is the situation? Is it, is it the dunks and the alley-oops and everything else? Because um, that can certainly be all fixed with a nine foot hoop or a nine, nine and a half foot hoop, you know, I mean, they're that, 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 you know, I mean, there, I would be saying some drastic things like that if I was struggling with putting people in seats, you know? Yeah. And I think that, I think that that's a good point, but how would you go from NCAA 10 foot? Maybe you'd have to switch the rims there too. Yeah. I did. You know, I don't, I don't, it's tough to go down that road, but. I'm not the commissioner of the WNBA. So. You can't turn it into a circus. The Harlem Globetrotters—they've no, the, the Harlem Globetrotters have made that kind of basketball famous. You know the the stunts and all the crazy dribbling and all that stuff. But I'm just looking at it as a legit legitimate sport. Having a daughter and knowing that when you go to the NBA and you're considered a professional athlete and you have you have Weber, what not Weber, but what's the, Durant on the Warriors, right? I don't know what he makes a year, but it's got to be $20 million a year. Well, easy. And he's considered the best in the league, or one of them at least. Mm-hmm. And then you got the best that's the player of the year, the, the MVP of the league. She made fifty-three dollars or $56,000 really? in that's what, they, my life. that's what she said. Now, I didn't look wow. that up. That's coming, for, that's coming from a, a Fox Sports report that wow. I heard on maybe ESPN or Fox this morning or last man. night. I can't remember, but look it up. Huh. I don't, maybe I'm wrong. Somebody needs to call in and call me on my, if I'm bluffing, but I, I really think that it's, she made fifty three or fifty six thousand dollars for the team she played for last year. Yikes! That's almost that's embarrassing for the media to expose that. Yeah, that's there's some, there's got to be something wrong with that number. I hope, but that's hold that, on. You know, I'm going to Google it. Do you have? Do you know what Google is? No, I don't. You've never heard of Google? Did you hear a slamming <laughs> ask, sound? Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. <laughs> I heard something get slammed. At, like, was there an earthquake just now? I have no idea. Did you feel that? No, you didn't. Maybe it's just my caffeine levels a little bit too high. 
WNBA star hurt salary. Let's see how well. This is top NBA salaries for 2019 versus NBA salaries. Um, hmm. I'm not trying to kill the drill here. I just wanted to try to get one number. One number. This is close to dead air as you can get. Yeah, this is close to it. And I might I might be killing like Howard Stern would be like, Gary, get me the information. <laughs> Baba Booey. Baba Booey. Baba Booey. The WNBA players earn less because the league only generates $25 million in annual revenue while the NBA rakes in a whopping $7.4 billion per season. It's a little different. Seven point five. I would have never guessed that. Seven point four billion NBA brings in as a, as as the for the men's sport. Um, that I, I can't really see. I can't really see the thing. But you need to go and maybe look and um, um, I can't see a number or a salary. But I think it was like fifty five fifty six thousand dollars for the that's, season. That's and they, like and their incredible. exact words were like, "Hey, if you come, if you start running this like a business and have an infrastructure and fill some seats and get some PR going and marketing or whatever, maybe you can prevent these girls from having to go overseas. The ones that love yeah. it, maybe. But remember, like Jeff Kent, who was making fifteen million a year for the Giants, goes and wrecks on a motorcycle during spring training. He sits out a year and he's looked at as the devil because he's just doing that because he's making so much money. Right. These girls are going over there and playing in front of probably I don't know how big getting the, hurt playing the sport. They're, I mean, yeah, and now they're getting hurt playing the sport to you know to just make a living that's unbelievable i don't know maybe i'm being drama about it but to me like when i heard fifty three thousand dollars, i'm like dude to be a professional oh gosh (laughs) well there's not very many things they call you professional at that pays you fifty three thousand. period yeah let's get out of the sports that's a great point yeah you know what i mean i'm a professional i got dude i gotta have that number wrong when you put it into that context right well absolutely if i'm you know I got to have that number wrong. If you put in that, right. you make $56,000 a year down That's, at the local Walmart. Well, you might be a little bit out of The manager does. Oh, I, yeah, bet, yeah, yeah. I bet you a manager does. <laughs> yeah, Somewhere yeah. around there. Speaking of, speaking of big money, how about that college admission scandal? Yeah. Is, what, the full Can house you, check? Oh, when we were talking about kids last time I was here. Yeah. Talk to me about what's going on. So she, she, she pays off the university to let her kid in and her kid... She pays. This is for Julie. Both girls. Julie something. Julie. The, the, it was. Uh, the, it was like the mom or the girlfriend on Full House, right? Yeah, Aunt Becky. Yeah, Lori Laughlin. Larry Laughlin. Lori Laughlin. Wait, 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 wait. Here, this is what the, the thing min- that kills you on that thing. Her daughter Olivia, whatever her name is, is making millions of dollars being a social influencer as we speak. So yeah. Oh yeah. What the hell? Tons of followers. Why you? You know. The, to me, the point of going to college, graduating from college. And getting a college degree, all that is to get a good job and hopefully a good enough job where you can make millions of dollars a year. So you're telling me she's making millions of dollars a year as she, as we speak. And you you put yourself in a situation where you might do 20 to 40 years screwing that up. It's really unbelievable. And she, ple- and she pleaded not guilty. Well, and she's, she's walking around just like a big time celebrity now. And her daughter's got to be pissed. Oh, I she had she makeup sponsors and oh, freaking making a couple million dollars a year, like two point I mean, two million. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's 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 just it shows you how sad you know the society is. What the whatever you want to call it, the keeping up with the Joneses, whatever it is. Yeah, my two daughters got accepted to USC. They're going to USC. I mean. Is it that really that big of a deal where your kids go to college that you would pay? I mean, it, to me, it's not even really about the money. 
you know, she, I think she paid 250 grand for each girl, which is pocket change to her probably. But if it was $250 to me for each one of my kids or, you know, I mean, really? But what about, get, the, who gives what does a that shit say about that, the institution though? Oh, I, well, that's, you know, USC is like worth the, billions. Why oh, does it, why, 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 I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Why does her money even matter to them? There's got to be something. Well, no, deeper. no, no. It's the water polo coach would act okay, like. Tell me, tell me the story. You, like, tell, it, it sounds like the water polo coach, they would, you know, they had X number of water polo players that nobody ever checked out. So you could give him, you know, in this situation, it sounds like they gave him $250,000. You give it to the water polo coach or you give it to this singer guy. He gives it to the water polo coach, and then you get a you know a letter in the mail. You've been recruited and accepted as a water polo athlete, so you've been accepted to USC because you're on your water polo scholarship. Do they even know how to swim? Not at all. They don't go to water polo practice. They don't go to anything. Some of the in some of the instances they posed them in pictures of being you know with the various sports that they were associated with, and it's just and where where was the money going? It, that's, that's the, well, the, the water polo coach was getting the money and then the guy singer that was orchestrating the scam was getting some money. Um, but then they were, I, I don't know enough about it, but there was a little bit, they might be in a little bit of trouble because they're listing charitable organizations. I mean, it's a, she's, she's going to figure out real quick that ignorance is not a defense. You know, I mean, it's, she's the only one that pled not guilty The Felicity Huffman, I think pleading guilty and, you know, kind of going along with a plea is going to be the smart play when this all turns out. You know, they might make an example of Aunt Becky. They're saying up to 40 years in federal penitentiary. And so stupid. I mean, she literally, I've, I heard the other day, yeah, I, I wish I didn't have to read this stuff, but it's impossible to be on planet Earth and not know. But, you know, she was saying the other day that, uh, you know, she doesn't consider it a crime and she, you know, didn't understand what was happening. It's I, Does she have an attorney yet? Like oh, yeah. quit pleading ignorance yeah, quit because talking. ignorance is not a defense. Did you hear Howard yesterday? Oh, I did. I feel like I'm regurgitating what he's saying. No, but, but did I, you talk? I agree did, what about exactly the, with what he's when saying? When he was I mean, playing the, the skits from from Full House and Bob Saget and Uncle Jesse, no, and I, I, didn't, heard, I didn't hear oh, that God, part. I'm, I'm not Classic. even going to ruin it by trying to do it. But uh-huh. I just found this real quick. Why we're why I, because so, so we don't look ignorant. But it it says the 2018-19 minimum salary in the W or in the NBA. Oh, I'm glad we're back to this. Yeah, I just want to make. I just want to clarify myself <laughs> so nobody calls in and says, "Hey, you're an idiot." Five hundred and eighty-two thousand dollars, one hundred, five hundred and eighty-two, one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Okay, so five hundred grand a year. Five hundred, five hundred eighty grand a year. Five hundred eighty-two thousand, one hundred eighty dollars. Yeah, that makes more sense. Overall, the average WN no, that's How? NBA. That's the oh, average oh, oh, salary okay. in the NBA. Excuse me. Oh, the average salary in the WNBA. Overall, the average WNBA player makes seventy nine thousand a year. So this girl's at fifty six after being that. So she might have been going into contract negotiations or something. The maximum salary caps, and nobody's at it, is one hundred and seventeen thousand dollars a year. That's the that's the most you can make as a WNBA player. Man, that is shocking. The minimum player salary for players with three or more years of service, they have to make fifty six thousand dollars if they've been in the league three years. Holy. 56 grand at three years of service. That means if you're a, a rookie, you might be making 35 grand a year. Wow. That's <laughs> brutal. Is that like, I hope those are UFC numbers where you're not seeing the whole thing. Man, oh I man. just read the report. So that's brutal. Um, well, and anything you ask, geez, you can trust. No, that, yeah, that was. <laughs> all right. So now we're going to get into <laughs> something that, that, that I've always thought. Uh, every time I think of this word, I think of you, I think of Jim Ray. Um, 
maturing and I'm, and th this has no basis of the way that I feel or anything. And it's, it's been like off my mind for a lot of years because of, you know, I haven't been in college in a while in a good minute. Um, fraternities, sororities. Oh, the, That's what you think of every time you think of me? No, every Holy time I hear shit. the word fraternities, I think of you guys because you're like the only fraternity brothers I ever knew. Right. When I was playing baseball and wasn't very good at it, I probably should have been in a fraternity. I'm not saying that fraternity guys are not athletes. I'm just saying you guys had a blast. But what are, what is, what are they for? Well, to me, it's different now. And this is, uh, I guess, the... Uh, I'm not trying to throw you so, off, dude. It, you, you. It's, it's been a long enough time where I, I couldn't be arrested for it or anything. But no, <laughs> I mean, to me, it was fun. Like the the particular uh, fraternity that I was at at the University of Nevada is has changed completely. They don't haze anymore. There's really no hazing anywhere in any fraternity in America anymore. Which to What's me, haze? What's haze? Well, to me, when when we. Uh, went through our fraternity there was hazing as far as like you know initiation goes having guys do certain things to to try to to get into the fraternity which sounds really lame when you explain it like that but there was a hell week and a you know all those different things that um to me bonded me with the other guys you know we went through some hardships or whatever you want to call it i don't want to go get into it too much but you know, some sleep deprivation and eating nasty stuff and doing push-ups and calisthenics and, uh, you know, to being, there was no alcohol. There was no alcohol for the uh, pledges as far as you drink this bottle of Jack. There's been fraternities all over the country that are in big trouble for kids getting too inebriated, dying of alcohol poisoning, doing all sorts of bad things. But as far as the fraternity I was in here didn't do any of the uh, drinking for the pledges. It was calisthenics eating bad stuff, you know, uh, just, just, you know, sleep deprivation, things like that, which that hardship, that PT, whatever you want to call it, um, endeared me to those guys in a way that I would never been endeared to them. Had I not gone through that with them, you know, like they, they, they teach that whole time or they preach that whole time, you know, you guys need to become a class and you guys are all together and, you know, um, you guys will support each other the rest of your lives, blah, 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 blah. You know, all those things um, kind of sunk in with me because I was going through some stuff with these guys, you know, some hardship, you know, or whatever you want to call it. People screaming in your face, you know, all that. So that endeared that the guys that I went through my fraternity with still to this day, um, I have a bond with. You know, we used to line up shoulder to shoulder and, you know, make sure nobody gets uh gets my hands in between this guy, this guy and this guy's rib cage. You know, you got to stay real close. All those things endear yourself to, you know, I'm not comparing it at all to the military, not even close, not even close, not even remotely. But there's a reason why those young men bond themselves to each other too. And it's because they go through a hell week much more severe. I'm just making it. I'm, I'm, it's a tough analogy to make because I have so much respect for the military. But you become more bonded with those people because you're laying on a beach and you're freezing your butt off and the only thing keeping you warm is them, you know? And so by the time you're ready to pick up a weapon and fight with that young man, you've got a bond with him, you know? So to a much lesser extent, um, same thing's going on back when I went through the fraternity. We get up to modern day and none of, the, none of that hazing is allowed. None of, that, none of those things that I perceived that bonding happens anymore. So to be quite honest with you, I'm not proud of it, but I haven't been involved in, in the fraternity that I kind of, you know, that I went to for, for a long time as far as Founders Day and things like that. 
just because they don't allow the hazing anymore. You know, and I thought that was the greatest part of it. You know, I, I, I apologize to people listening who have had bad experiences with hazing or, uh, you know, anything like that. But for me, it's the only reason it endeared me to all my other guys and it endeared me to everybody in that fraternity. And I thought it made us all get closer but and you, without but you, it, said, I don't get it. Without you, it, you without it, I don't understand. But you said many times that your your whole upbringing was that of uh, not. Your, I'm not saying your dad and mom hazed you, but you came up as a competitor, as a oh, fighter, yeah. as maybe you don't have the same mentality as all of these guys that want to be in a fraternity. Now all of a sudden, you get there and hazing starts, and you're fine with it because you got the mental aptitude and the physical strength and yeah. and the mental discipline to take it. Maybe some of these guys don't. That's the best part about it. That's a good analogy. The guys on the end of my line, I'm Shaleen, so I was kind of, you know, you do it in alphabetical order. I had one guy, uh, a kid from Arrington, his last name was Rosachi, and this other kid's name was Snelly, so or Shnaga. So I had him. One guy was uh, six foot six foot seven, so I had my right arm all the way up on him. And then my left arm, this guy on my left is like five foot eight, opposite problem. So I'm way off balance trying to grab the, both these guys by the shoulder and hold them tight or whatever. And this little guy was the end of the line. So they'd be grabbing this little dude. His, all you would see is his two ankles go like this. He'd be sideways on the line, and it's my job to, to, to hold on to him. So though, And he wasn't a kid that was raised like me. So you're absolutely making a great point. They're messing with him the most because he's the littlest guy in class, and he's having the most difficult time with all the stuff going on. Is anybody are they, in the are they trying to break him? Oh, absolutely trying to break him. There's the door. You don't want to be here. You know, you go home and get some sleep, which the caveat to that is there's a guy on the other side of the door to make sure you don't go run home to the dorms with these overalls and stuff and go hold, you know, that would be a bad scene. So you're not leaving no matter what. They're put they'll put you in sick bay or, you know, get you out of the situation, but you're not leaving that house in, unless you're and that's the problem with hazing is that kids don't make the call in the right amount of time, and that's how kids get hurt and everything else. Right. So you got to do it responsibly, but damned if we didn't do it responsibly because I was on the other side of this hazing too. And trust me, I like that part. You know, but I didn't, I didn't do you know, any of the, uh, again, I didn't make anybody drink anything. It would be more about the calisthenics to me. You know, hey, fellas, we're going to get a good workout what, in here. What were the benefits? We're going to be doing what? about 1,000 push-ups in the next couple hours. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, you, know, you can work out I mean, on your own, though. So, well, no, it's just that, you know, your arms are giving out everybody in the, in the basement. What did that Everybody else is drinking and doing everything else. What does that brotherhood you? achieve though? Once you're in and you're, and you got all these guys that made it through hell week and hazing and all this. Now you're at a tailgate party, a football game. You're up in the basketball stands. Uh, what did that achieve for the next four years becoming a, a, a made member? Is that what it is? You're made now, right? Uh, you're, you're in. But what's it materialized into? Yeah. Bad grades. <laughs> just it just becomes no. a party well you know it just becomes it just like i said it just becomes guys that are basically your friends for life they, i look at those guys that i went through that experience with even the guys around the other side hazing me or you know either the classmates of mine that were getting hazed or the guys hazing me and you go through that whole thing and then at the end it, it is like a, a celebration that you made it through all that and and then you know it's the flip side of hey you're you're you know you're part of the deal my fraternity was super straight well not i mean it's it sounds lame to talk about but you couldn't wear the letters until after Hell Week, all that, you know. And so it was, as lame as it sounds, a, a feeling of accomplishment that you got these letters think, and went through all that. I don't think it sounds that. lame. No, no, no. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's fraternities are, are a strange thing to me, always have been, because when people say, well, you join a fraternity just because you can't make your own friends, I think there's a lot of truth to that for a lot of people. 
To me, that's an offensive statement because I can go across the street to the mini mart and meet 10 friends. You know, I just, they're, I'm that's, just a talkative guy. And that's you know why, what I mean? that's just, why my questions are formed the way they are. It's like, yeah. why does a guy like what you, does it bring to me? what yeah. does it bring to you? Has it helped you in your professional career? Did it help you go out and get a job or is, does it maybe not you particularly, but that's a bad example. Cause you had a, you already had a, a, a I think a, it absolutely would. There's people, there's friends of mine. That leaders, from, it teaches you leadership skills. And, absolutely. And, and, and there's, and to your point, there's a, you know, one of, one of my dear friends is from North Dakota. I'm, I'm his, uh, his daughter's or excuse me, his son's father-in-law. He's from North Dakota. I met him at the fraternity. He's never left Reno. He, we went to the University of Nevada together, you know, him from North Dakota, me from Carson City. And then he loved North Nevada so much that he still lives on Manzanita right down the street from me. And, you know, we're, we're still buddies. Uh, there's, there's guys like that. I could name 10 of them that are either from Northern California or other spots in America that landed here. And I would say for them, um, you make a good point just with, uh, with, with me being local and my family always being local. I, 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 there's a lot of veins and all that, but, but for these particular guys that I can think of, they do have a leg up pr- as far as professionally and personally having friends in the area because of the fraternity. So you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was, what you, know, you did it. Wasn't this a tradition for you? It was, I was a legacy. My dad was in it and, uh, and I don't think I would have done it had my dad not been a legacy. And, and it's interesting. It's, it's funny that you say that because if my kids aren't playing sports in college, my advice to them is probably going to be to skip it. But if, uh, really, you know, yeah, I would, I, I we'll see. I mean, it's just different now. Now, now you get, um, you know, now you just, here's your letters and welcome to the fraternity. And there's some, there's, I think there's some rules and things you had to adhere to, but now it truly is you know, everybody's friends and, you know, there's none of that hardship or none of that bonding. So now to me, without that bonding experience and that the only way that, that, that I can bond with people and I'm, I'm just talking for myself is through hardship. The only way I can bond with people quickly is through hardship. Um, if we go through something together, I'll be bonded quicker than, than if we didn't, you know, that's just my personal. So it's interesting now, not going through those bonding experiences, how, you know, I think that totally changes uh, the, the the way friendships are, are are formed in fraternities. I don't get it now. Like now, I would show up to the fraternity. You give me the fraternity letters. I have all access to everything. I can do whatever I want. Go to any room I want. Do you know? It's like okay, thank. I, that's all I have to do. Do I have to pay? That's all I do is pay my monthly dues and, you know, and you're hundred percent that your facts are right right now. This is how fraternities are ran now. At oh yeah. Campus. There's no hazing. There's no hazing that the, the, unfortunately, like I said, there's been some deaths and there's absolutely a reason to shut down hazing because there aren't enough responsible. The kids nowadays are not responsible. I don't know if it's the kids or what's happening, but, um, you know, we certainly, uh, had a lot of a lot of situations where we got through because we were responsible enough about it, you know, without hurting anybody or were you a sundowner? No, did not get into that. That's, that's one thing, you know, my dad was a sundowner and that's one thing the parents said, uh, uh-uh. that's, no more you know, that's, that's pretty much just Is sundowner, a UNR drinking club or was it national I'm, with AT? Is I'm it, almost positive. Are you allowed to say the fraternity? Oh yeah. ATO. Is ATO still around? Oh yeah. Um, I'm almost positive. It's, a. uh, Local deal because it's not an ATO thing. It's a Sigma Nu, SAE, any, any of the, uh, fraternities at the university can be sundowners. I've just, I just, I'm confused by it. Cause when I go to like a, 
I've been to Fayetteville a bunch with our businesses, and I go through Fraternity Row there sometimes to get to the baseball field or whatever, basketball stadium. And it's just amazing how much energy is around these houses. And, well, and, and these. I, that's a different deal. That, you know, the fraternities in the Deep South, all that, I think those guys got it going on. They, they, they know, I mean, I, that's a different deal. I've been to some SEC games, and I can tell you it's the different. fraternity atmosphere there is different than the University of Nevada. And then when I say different, I mean better. So that might be a better atmosphere, you know. I, I think it's apples and oranges when you're talking about the university. So if you had it all to do again, would you SEC. go and get? Would you go become an ATL? Let's say that you, as as back when it was when yeah, I went through. Oh yeah, you would have Abs- done it again. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, my buddies for life from there are. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Who's your? I had the fun funnest time ever there. I mean, it's it's just been. Oh, absolutely. I'm just saying now, now now that they've now that I used to be on the board, the alumni board. We had so many problems with the university and this and that and um, hazy incidences and, and me and this other guy going back and forth up there. And, and then I thought when we needed the alumni most, because it was one of those things, you know, it's like, well, shut down hazing or we're going to shut you down. It's like, all right, well, shut us down. Without hazing, what the hell is this thing worth anyway? And everybody else is going, no, we can still have a house and stuff. You know, it's like, well, if we have a house and the nationals take it over, then you're, you have to have a certain GPA to be, to, to be here. And all this other stuff, it means I wouldn't even have qualified back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I, my attitude in college was like, what the hell is a fraternity? Like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. But I always wanted to educate myself on because every, every guy that is – a lot of my friends today, you, Jimmy, the, all of the guys that came from that Carson City crowd – Matorian, there a lot of them were fraternity guys. A well, lot it's of them the same. Were, it's the same thing with baseball. It's just that you're still friends with all the people you played baseball with because you guys went through hardships. You guys went through all those practices with Coach with Freddie Dalmore, where you thought you were going to die. You guys all puked in that trash can in center field. You guys all went through all that together, you know, and you got through it together, and you became a team and all that. It's 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 the same type of concept. You know, it's just in a different, um, different field, right. you know, literally. Yeah. I just, <clears throat> I just was wondering like it has, maybe the South is where it goes on. Maybe the SEC it, oh, it, and then you got, and then you have the, everything down there is different. It's all bigger down there. It is. It, well, that's for see, NCAA stuff. You see why Muslim and, you know, he loses. The money's the, there. Well, Florida was like, in, I don't know if they were, they were the sixth best basketball team, I think in that conference this year. And they beat UNR. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just everything. Like you said, everything's bigger. How was that I lunch mean, we had last week with Freddie D? Oh, my Lord. That guy. Fred Dallimore uh, was my baseball coach holy. at UNLV, but you, we we have bonds with him because of that. Plus, his he's from here, and then he moved to Vegas to do that. But come on, man. How he's absolutely the stories legendary. were amazing. Absolutely <laughs> legendary. <laughs> the story about how he was so mad at a coach i won't say the school they come to our yard and he's out there at midnight with the fire hose filling their concrete dugout full of water so and then says there's a leak and they have to stand on the outside of it and nobody can sit down during the game he is not, uh, how about him getting kicked out before he turned in the uh, lineup yeah i mean hadn't even turned in the lineup he was at the lineup exchange and he just starts going off about where's your strike zone 
I don't have to tell you that. I'd like to know what your strike zone is. <laughs> and he's like, well, then I don't know how to tell you the, the players' names who's playing. I want to know who you're trying to I mean, I thought I was going to that. When he was telling that story, the funny thing is, you, I mean, there's a lot of legendary baseball coaches. You know that. I mean, baseball coaches, are. that's where there's some legendary figures. Freddie D is right up there with all of them. And I can almost guarantee you there is a very small list of guys that have been thrown out before the game starts. Oh, yeah. I, can I you imagine? Very small. He would not turn in his lineup card. No. He, I, I'm he not got turning tossed, in his lineup card. That was a double header. He, was, he got tossed the game before, or two games before that or so. Yeah, two games before that he got tossed, sat his game out. I think that's how it went. And then he got tossed before that one even started with the same umpire crew. Is that the time he put on the catcher's gear? No, that, that was uh, – that was um, – Arizona State at our at spring break tournament, he gets tossed, and Barry Bonds is there because he was ASU alum. Matt Williams oh, yeah. is with us because it's spring training time down there. Yeah, and he goes down in our bullpen with Dean with D Martini, one of our relief pitchers, and puts on the deal. And he's got a right hander's catcher's glove trying to catch the ball as a lefty, and he can't. And he's got his hat on backwards, and he's got those bow legs sticking out. I'm just I'm a freshman, just laughing my like the life lessons I learned. But that's the thing is like that what that taught me, you know, hearing the stories that he said, a lot of that shit couldn't happen today. And maybe oh, it no does. I, I haven't sat in on a college. I'm sure college coaches get after their athletes, but man. If it's anything like the little leagues are, like we talked about last podcast, it's so soft in a lot of instances now, like what you're saying with the no hazing and the fraternities that, man, I don't know if that's the right way to do it. Like Freddie, Fre I, I was a average below average NCAA division one baseball player. And he made me know that we all know the story about that, but I, everything that I took out of it besides the physical part of the game is what literally is, is how I rounded my life, how I forged my way through life of no. knowing that I, it doesn't matter if you're an all-star baseball player or if you're somebody that just wants to be an all-star. If you still have the same mental attitude towards it, you just might not be gifted with the same skill set as somebody. And that's what Freddie always told me is like, dude, if we'd have had 10 of you, we'd have been fine because no. we'd have found a way to win. No, it's exactly. just one of me. I no. wasn't, I wasn't going to make a shit. No, I think that's the biggest lesson to anybody, any kid or, you know, anybody trying to do anything is you can get it done pounding that square peg through the round hole. I mean, you, you, you absolutely can. You just got to keep pounding, you know, I yeah. mean, that's a, you are a, you are a square peg through the round hole type of guy. I mean, you just, still work, you know, yeah, you still are. I mean, you, you truly, and that's a compliment. But I would hope that, you know, some of those classic stories he tells, I think you're absolutely right that, that there's no way that that could happen in today's day and age. But you would hope, and, and the only reason why, you would hope that the umpires are good enough baseball guys to, to let those stories go and the, and the kids would be okay with it. I think the thing that would mess you up is the, the fans, you know, and everybody's got their phone out. Everybody's, I mean, some of the things he said during the lunch, obviously we won't repeat here, but... A lot of guys, list, guys, women listening to this show, especially the hunters, if we were in a pickup truck right now going hunting, it could talk to them and tell them these stories. They would absolutely fall out of the truck laughing. Yeah. Everybody in America would think that it's funny if it's told in the right context. The problem is you take a video of it on somebody's iPhone and then it gets tweeted or sent out to the rest of the world. It doesn't look right he, at he's all. He's fired the next day. You don't know Freddie Dallimore you automatically make all these assumptions you know it's just it just turns nasty so quick and yeah. it's just you know every comment if you think about it you know you see a 30 second clip we've had a lot of those or even shorter we've had situations like that in america here uh you know and in, in real recently where you see 15 seconds of a clip and you go oh my gosh that's horrible and then you see 
the whole 30 second clip you go well that changes my mind completely it's that's a, a good it's point. a weird deal you know but his stories are so Oh my like how many people like did he shape by showing them that that because we weren't the best team and we won and we went to regionals and things because of the way that he freaking got got the best out of his athletes he knew a way to get in your head to where you had no choice but to give your best and he the stories you just sit there and go i could do it for and, and then dude i'm telling you if i showed you my phone right now i will just so you know look at this he has texted me at least look at that that's all him in the gray those are all thank yous for that lunch oh that's perfect oh, and that's they, they all they all end they all end like um they all end like this truly enjoyed the time we had together oh like, that's perfect for an hour and a half lunch oh that's like, great he's freddie's that's... 75 years old and he was stout and i'm like freddie you're 75 now and he's like yeah and i'm like god oh, dang it man he looks good. He looks good. He looks way good. He had a surgery or something 10 years ago or something right after I saw him. I was like, man, poor Freddie. He looked 20 years younger than the last time I saw him at lunch. He's looking real good. Yeah, and he's back in Vegas this week. And you know what he told me when he gets back? I get to go pick up that painting. <laughs> that oh, painting perfect. is so classy. Your oh, dad wants one, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm getting prints done. Okay, of, that, of him in that umpire? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Nice. And, and he uh, he's... He's down in Vegas right now, and he's going over to the university to see if he can find me a number 13 jersey. Oh, gosh. I mean, how perfect is it Fred oh, Dallimore wears number 13? Oh, that's too good. <laughs> too good. He's freaking he's, – he's one of those guys to where you're just proud to know him. You know, like you, it makes me feel good that we have the kind of life that we do and that we were cut from a cloth like my dad and how my dad took care of Cecil and didn't take care of him. That's the wrong words. But now here we are. I'm 44. Cecil's 93, and I'm still going and seeing Big Daddy after yeah. my dad's been gone. My dad's, can you believe my dad's been gone 13 years this year no, already? No, it's amazing. And I think that the, the how you're shaped in life through the people you meet, my dad, your dad, the way that your uncle Pat took you and, and, and the way that Martino and, and what, and Tony, what's the pilot's last name? Schuler. And Schuler and these guys at Antelope Camp and, and when my dad's ashes are up there and you and Jimmy go see my dad's ashes more than I do because it's still F's with me bad. And it's good that when I get a selfie of somebody with pops in, in the mountain that he's on, that we, we put his box on. But going through life and meeting somebody like Fred Dallimore to where in 1994, he called me probably the biggest insult that I've ever been called in my, in my professional or competitive career, the biggest recruiting mistake that I ever made. And now here we are, Scotty, in 2019, eating horse tongue. You were eating, you were eating. Horse tried, tongue. Cow tongue. I, I mean, cow tongue. Horse tongue. I've had horse tongue too. It's freaking awesome. Eating cow tongue with Freddie Dallimore in 2019. That to me is awesome. That is oh, what life is. is all about. Oh, it absolutely And is. I always, I always talk to people about this and I wanted to get into this is I, in life, I don't, it's so important to have guys of, of different generations to get influence from because we don't have a freaking clue how it was when Cecil was growing up. Yeah. I don't even know if we could have done it. Of course we could have, but think about the mentality that somebody like Cecil had to get to where he is now. I didn't have a grandpa. I lost one grandpa and seven in, in when I was two and one when I was 10. So I really grew up without that kind of that, that bond that you have with a, a grandpa to where I had to find it in the Freddies, yeah. in 
the Cecil. in the Cecils, in the Ben Donleys, to people that were weren't even in my immediate family. I latched onto them, and then especially when my dad died, I found myself like trying to latch on to people to where like when people bring my dad up, still I still get kind of like shut down. Like I still get messed up in the head when I hear about dad or sure. have to go to those scholarship meetings and think like, or I went to give a hitting lesson yesterday at my bud, my brother's pad. And he's got all these posters of all of the dinners we've done for my dad. And it's got my dad's face up there with his glasses on in Italy with his glass of wine on the train. And it F's me up every time. So I found myself latching on to people going, Freddie, I need this from you. Mike Shaleen, I need this. How many times right. have I told you in the last 10 years? And I know that we don't see each other as much as we did at one time, but that's life. Right. The, the important part is, is that we still do. Absolutely. And I always am like, can your dad come? Is your dad yeah. going to be available? Can he right. go eat lunch? Because right. when you told the story the other day about when you told him my biggest recruiting mistake story and he got down on a knee laughing because he was, he was struck by that Dallimore story, that's what I found myself doing in life is that through communication, through networking and through relationships, I found myself like latching on to different aspects of people. Freddie, I need your sense of humor. I need your no bullshit mentality that you actually have the balls to say what you just said to another human being. Not that that human being doesn't respect you and you don't respect him, but the competitive nature of people, that proof that showed me like, dude, this life is about being competitive and about not laying over and just letting thinking that life's going to come to you. Right. And that's what I took. I took that out of this and seeing Cecil and, and now he's 93 and I, we go into the hospital to see him two weeks ago and he's doing better. Now he fell down and, and you know, he broke his hip two years ago and then he fell again. That messes with the person mentally that when I see him like that, I'm like, Oh my God, he's, he's, it's so awesome that big daddy's still here. But then when I see him in that weakened state, right. I, it mentally goes, God, man, thank God for doctors. Thank God for nurses and healthcare and these people that take care of them in their homes and these retirement centers. I don't have the mentality for that. Oh, I no. just don't. I see it and I, sh I break down. I'm just like, God dang it, Cecil. That's not you, man. You're, you're stout. That's big daddy. And now I'm sitting there going, I got to pet his arm, you know, to wake him up. And it's just, it's, it sucks. Oh. But I my point is, is that I think life is about finding those outside inspirations and influences to where I don't know if freaking people are getting that today with how easy it is to just say, it's here's a text real phone. quick. Here's right. a text where I'm going to watch this video. Here's what I'm going to do all day. It's just, a, it's a weird mentality because in one state I'm on my phone doing all this branding shit, right. but then I want to be having conversations with my friends and lunches. And I'm constantly coming back to this area, trying to become more involved in the community when I don't know if it's passed me by. And it's just all these weird thoughts going through my freaking mind all the time. But it goes back to wanting to grasp on to different people and always wanting those certain people in your life. Some people are going to come into your life and they're going to be gone. Maybe you do get a little influence from them before they are gone. But the ones that really stick and you want to be around, that's the reason that you want to be around them. Yeah. I want to go to lunch with Freddie because of what I endured with him as being a, a really a, not a good a athlete that was good enough to be in that team. Right. Not good enough. <laughs> Absolutely classic. Freddie, that was a very, very, very enjoyable lunch. I mean... But the first thing uh, Jimmy Ray said, he went, he went out, he, his, his son's on the same team as Bobby Aralt, and uh, he said something about, he goes, hey, Bobby, I, I had uh, lunch with your college coach. You know, Bobby Aralt obviously played in the major leagues for lots of years, but uh, he goes, that is by far one of the most important men ever in my life and definitely the best coach I've ever had. Yeah, and that's so. what I'm saying is that he's not just a coach or anything like anymore to where he's a friend, you know, right. and, and, and I wasn't his all-star. I wasn't his D1 All-American. I wasn't his it's conference a, player no, of the that, year. That, that is a good point to make. 
that is a good point. Is 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 he says you're the biggest recruiting mistake I've ever made, and you guys are still the best of buds. I mean, that is an yeah. absolutely good point. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's true. It's it, easy to treat the best. You know, it'd be easy for him to go to lunch with Nick Custer. Yeah. You know? Well, Nick was a stud. <laughs> that's but, what I'm But Nick gets pissed at me that he doesn't get invited to that lunch. And I'm like, dang it, I should have invited Custer at lunch because I talked to him and I freaking just was texting him two weeks ago about doing a dinner oh, with yeah. him and Carrie and then I, I skipped out. But have um, him next time. What, as far as what you do professionally now after, you know, our fraternity talk and this little sad little deal I got into just now, professionally, um, now we're going to talk insurance? What, no, 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 no. You I don't might have to, people driving heavy machinery that listen to the show. I don't want to talk insurance. I want to talk about, I just want to talk about one, one part of insurance. I just want your, I, your, your analogy on, I heard this commercial the other day, and again, I thought of you, but this guy's like, I don't even want to think about life insurance. I'm only 35 years old. I'm only 40 years old or something <laughs> like that. And I'm like, man, that's a good point of like, what, why do you have it? Is it a necessity and is it something to where there's so much money going into these pots of insurance and then they can afford to pay it out because they're playing the odds like a Vegas sports book? Like if Chad dies at 47 and his family gets this much of a payout, the odds of him dying at 47 aren't good with the average being 74. But so we're going to get that monthly payment, that monthly draw from Chad, but not just Chad. Scott's paying into it and Jim's paying oh, yeah. into it. So they got this bill. I mean, is that what it is really? It's just a, well, that's a numbers exactly game? what it is. I mean, they, the numbers game so dictated like that, that term insurance is very, you know, fairly inexpensive you can get term insurance for a pretty cheap price and then full life policy whole life policy is much more expensive the problem is they only pay out about five percent on term policies so 95 percent of the time if you have a term policy you're going to term out you know you have a 10-year term you're going to be alive that whole 10 years and then die after the term ends because 95 percent of term policies don't pay out wow so yeah, that, that what you said. And, and, and fortunately, a lot of people look at the numbers, you know, and the term policy is so much more affordable than the whole life policy. Everybody ends up going on term. And really, there's not, sometimes there's reasoning for that. Like you have a business partner, you know, you're going to be, uh, if I had a business partner, I was starting a business today, I'd have, I want a 25-year term policy on this other partner that I have. And he wants a 25-term uh, uh, on me. Well, that's great. But we need that term. He dies, I get whatever, and I die, he gets whatever. At the end of the 25 years is when we're both going to die. So we pay all that money in 25 years. We're business partners forever, and then we get out of that business, and in the 26th year, there I go. So, yeah, 5%. 5%. 5% get paid out. So what's the way to do life insurance? If, if well, if you can afford it, do the whole life policy, because that doesn't go anywhere. That's for your no matter – there's no term on that. You know, the other nice thing about that is if you, if you have any um, conditions that, that creep in after that initial physical, if you had a cancer diagnosis, anything like that, they can't get off of that whole life policy. When the term renewals, they will. You know, if, you, if I did a 10-year term and found out I had cancer in that 10-year term, when that 10-year term ends, the next time I go get 10 years of term, that cancer's been disclosed. So either my next rate for term is going to be skyrocketed or I might actually be uninsurable because now be. I have cancer. So, and then on the other part of it is like, I have three policies, life insurance policies and paying into all of them. 
is that the right thing to do? Is that a, is that something you've heard of before, or did I get did I no, get scammed on this deal? No, all of them should pay out. I mean, what are the two of two term and one whole life? Or yeah, are they all? all no, they're all life? they're all whole life. Oh, perfect. That's great. I mean, so I don't know if, if people are actively hunting you to shoot you or you know what, but you're definitely <laughs> you're definitely think worth, about it worth more more dead than alive. You know, if you especially if you have three policies, that's you know. So that's good. I yeah. Mean, well, I did it for a little bad. I, I just to you. did. It, I just did it when I had a daughter. I was just uh, like, I'm just uh, gonna get more policies. No, I mean something. The the mourning period will be a lot shorter. Because <laughs> <laughs> the amount of money. Yeah. I mean, it's like, hey guys, let's not be too sad. I mean, there's three policies here. <laughs> did something right. That's when you start seeing people get tipped over, like <laughs> yeah. like by their spouse or something. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, three yeah. of them. Oh yeah, three. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to need to get your signature, but it, it, it really is something to me to where if you think about, do you, when you go in, you have to be thinking of yourself as that you're doing these people a favor. When oh you're, yeah. I when don't, I personally insurance. don't like, I have people at the office that do life insurance. I personally don't do it, but you know, you, you have though. to, you have to tell, you know, a nasty story because there are nasty stories out there. They're going that you're walking into their new business or whatever situation you're walking into and everything's rosy that day, you know, you want to explain to them the pipe up there gushing water and both of us standing in three feet of water. That's, you know, it's like, hey, I know everything's happy today. You're about to start. You're about to, nothing bad's happened here, but let me explain to you some exposures that I've seen with this kind of business in the past and what, you know, what we need to do to make sure you don't have any bad days. So you always, you know, if they don't want the coverage, certainly it's something where, um, you know, I, I go into those worst case scenarios and say, listen, I know you're 33 years old and it doesn't seem like you need life insurance because boy, you, you're certainly a specimen, but unfortunately you could cross that road and a driver hits you and you're not buffed enough that that wouldn't kill you. So 33 year olds do die. So I would, you know, I would suggest that you have life insurance. The interesting part to me is if you're single, because I had life insurance when I was single. You probably don't need it when you're single. I mean, unless you want to take care of your parents if something unexpected happens to you or something like that. I, the only reason I have life insurance is to make sure Christy's okay. And I don't have that much because I'm a selfish son of a bitch. And if anything happens to me, I don't want her to be loaded for the next guy. You know, <laughs> She's already good looking. Good looking and loaded. What's this guy going to look like? Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. She's going to find a good enough, uh, good enough replacement for me just on her looks. Oh, so you don't. If I leave her rich, holy shit. You know, yes. I mean, are you kidding so me? So this is your mentality as an Irish insurance compulsion oh, yeah. guy. My kids are going to have to suffer. I don't, you know, I, mean, <laughs> I sell life insurance. I just don't have it. Oh, so you like, you're one of those guys that gets a little Jameson in you and one guy looks at her a little bit wrong and you're like, oh. Oh gosh. No, I've gotten way better at that. Really? No more jealousy? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's no more, no more. I feel like I've just, I've just matured so much. Have you? Oh yeah. Really? hundred percent. You know how it is. I still like to lift every morning and everything like that, but it feels like I'm leaking freaking testosterone and injecting estrogen or something. Jeez, really? Everything gets harder. I yeah. don't know what it is. You know, I feel like, uh, um, I, I can still lift the, the same amount of weights I used to lift and things like that, but you got to keep after it. Like I take a, if I take a week and a half off, you'd think I'd never lifted a weight in my life. Yeah, I mean, weird. it's just, it's getting old. Why man. don't you get on HGH? <sighs> Are you kidding me? Why don't you try it? Uh, they say I, it's healthy. 
Well, yeah, I do. I mean, I don't need that. I mean, I'm not trying to win any. No, I'm talking hard. about for joints. I'm talking about longevity. I'm talking about feeling better and not. I, you know what I need is a doctor, period. What about I edibles? A, what about I, eat, I eating a, edibles? Well, no. I've heard that marijuana edibles are, are making making people feel like this marijuana cream. They're talking about you can rub it on your joints they, and it makes you feel like you're in cocoon and coming out of that swimming pool and shit. Every joint? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> kind of oh. I'm talking about the joints on your body. I'm not a marijuana oh, guy, but Jesus I mean, it's, n- dude, you, it's unreal how you drive around Reno now see, and oh, you see it's, marijuana advertised like it's freaking water. Well, it's like not it's the good. Next best thing. It's not good. And it's not, um, the one thing I've noticed is like when we go down to play basketball, youth sports back to youth sports, we go down to Oakland to play basketball. It's like, come on, fellas. Are you? Just you want to go out in the parking lot? You know, I mean, obviously they're not smoking in the gym, but everybody smells like it so much. They might as well be smoking oh, yeah, in the it's gym. It's ridiculous. It's like, are you shitting me? Guess what, stud? I can go across the street and grab a six pack of freaking beer because I'm over the age of 21 and, it, and the legal age in, in the United States is 21, but I'm not going to sit in the stands or in the parking lot drinking a, drinking a six pack of Budweiser before I go in and watch my 10 year old son play basketball. But they're doing so how about wrong. you don't, how about you take the joint out of your mouth? Because it's the same thing as me sitting on my tailgate drinking beer here. Yeah. And it's legal and it's like in your face and it's almost like it's ridiculous. Uh, and it is legal. And, you, in and the kids right? know what it smells like. Oh, I mean, yeah. the kid, the, you know, guys walk in with just this big wave and the kids all look at each other and go, Oh, they just have, you know, I don't I mean, know. I don't know if legalization, I don't ridiculous. know. I don't know how to think about that. I, I heard reports that like, since they've done it in Colorado and the Denver area that the crime rates went up. Really? I, yeah. I don't so, know. I, I don't know if they can if, attribute if, that to marijuana, but I don't know how I feel about everybody. But then again, that everybody's like, it's better than, it's better than booze. It's better than booze. It's like, but it, you're right. Like I went to a concert down there and obviously concerts aren't the right place, but it, you, you've been on the floor in a concert. You oh, smell yeah. some weed, right. but now I'm standing outside and it's just like being passed around. Like it's everyday cigarettes. And you're just like, exactly. I guess it's just going to take some time to get used to, but every billboard, every sign that I see of these tinted window stores and these dispensaries and I don't know. It's a money-making son of a bitch from what it looks like to, yeah, to me. Yeah, hopefully the state can make some money on it. I mean, my thing is, is if it, they, you know, obviously the, the age is 21, but, um, you know, it needs to be treated exactly like alcohol. The thing that worries me is to the youth, I think it's a little scarier than alcohol. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I know that it can impact a youth's brain a lot more than I think a beer would. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're if you're having to join it 14, 15, all that, you know, it's just not a good area to get into. I think it can lead to I don't like much it, more I, serious things and things like that, you know. And when everything becomes legal, then everything becomes less, you know. I, I don't like that part of it. You know what I mean? I hope I hope kids aren't thinking like that because they should be thinking of it as a totally different thing. Like, let me I'll just speak real plainly. When I was 16 years old, I snuck a couple beers because, you know, beers were legal, all that, you know, and, and, uh, and I just did, I, you know, not proud of it, but that's what I did. So I hope kids don't have that mentality, you know, like, Hey, marijuana is legal. I'm going to have this joint because it, you know, with all due respect, I think it can kind of goof you up a lot more than a couple beers. You know, I might lead you down a I hope that's not the case. I hope Come on. It's, it's got to be the case. I hope that's not the case. You know, I, I really don't. I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I think of it exactly what you're saying of that kid sitting in that truck going down Glendale and seeing these billboards of like, oh, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an everyday deal now. Right. I don't right. know. I don't know. It's a, I don't want to get into that subject. I just, I just felt like, you know, 
man, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't, I, I don't think that I'm educated enough on it. I, I had opportunities to get involved in the businesses and I said no. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if I ever would want to be involved in it. I just don't agree with it. I don't, I don't get into it as far as why it needed to be legalized. But again, there's people out there that could look at me and say, here's why idiot. I don't uh, ethically though, me, the way I was brought up, I'm not, I'm not jiving with it. No, I'm not jiving. I mean, we still, we write the business insurance for it. It because that creates some interesting problems because they pay with cash and your banker doesn't like cash and all this other stuff. So it is a unknown wild, wild west frontier type deal. And, and who knows how it's going to work out, but I'm, you know, I tend to go more along long lines with you that, you know, it's not. When I hear my brother talk about it, I'm just like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. I don't really like to have conversations about it because I'm just like, well, what what are we going to do? You know, we're not going to stop what's going on. Right. I know that's probably not what people want to hear. Get involved. and you can, But it, it's not it's not my position to say it should be or shouldn't. I'm just right. when you hear the when you hear my brother's side of it, you're like, yeah, that that could be. But there's no proof behind it. So exactly I, I i don't know i i think that what your 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 analogy was dead on is if you're gonna go if you're gonna do it just keep it to yourself 21. yeah 21 and 21. keep it to yourself it doesn't have to be out in front of everybody because you don't want a 14 year old kid saying getting addicted to marijuana is marijuana addictive it's got to be it's got to be so i don't i don't know i've never done it i've never done ask it. willie ask willie, ask willie if it's addictive Willie, I, I think that my, what, where I brought in marijuana though is that I've heard people swear by the creams, and I don't even know what they're called right now. But I've heard people that are in their fifties, sixties, and seventies say, "Man, it makes me feel better rubbing it on my knees and rubbing it on my calves and rubbing it on my joints and stuff." I, I guess that's what you were going is that I keep using the word joints, but no, it's a it's a cream that's based off of that drug that I guess it was working wonders for some people. Well, no, that's good, and I mean, I I, I don't want to be sick, but if it made my knee feel better, I don't, you know, I, it's not uh, been gay, so. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it's not going to burn and it makes other things feel better, I'm in. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> ben, ben J, that was, was not going to burn it. Now all. we're going back to the hazing. So the know, it's not going to burn it all. I'm just, it makes my mind race. It's like, <laughs> Oh, it makes my knee feel better. Well, huh? So has there been any, um, we'll end it like this with what you were working on the last time you were in here was your, was the building on fourth when, and you were getting ready to go to a council yeah. meeting? You know, it's, it's, I'm not disappointed with the city council's decision because the city of Reno needs money and they, they know that they can sell that building for $1.7 million. And that's what they elected to do. Um, I don't want to go off on two. That's one way to see things. How much longer is that building going to sit there waiting for a $1.7 million buyer? They told us that they had a buyer. The thing that bothers me now is there's three, four sales signs on it now every time I drive by. So if you had a buyer that day and, and they told us who the buyer was, then why is there a for sale sign on the building now? And if you have to wait a certain number of days, those days have certainly passed as far as we have to, even though... Uh, Jacobs Entertainment told us that they were going to buy it. Um, you know, they still we we still have to give forty five days for the rest of the general you know public to to make a bid because somebody else can make a higher bid. Whatever whatever ramifications those days have already passed. So it's funny that you said that because I actually have a call to Gary saying, "Are you kidding me with this for sale sign on this building?" I I'm a lot like you. If you tell me something, that's fine, but let's move. 
you know? And um, so when you say that you're, you're gonna get 1.7 million for it, that means to me, you're gonna have 1.7 million in your pocket real quick. And so now the building's still on sale and I, I don't know what's happening, but the, the disappointing thing is if they would have said yes, we would have probably, well, not probably, we would have already broken ground and that building would have already been improved. The first thing we were gonna do to that building was gonna be to, to paint it. So now you drive by, it's still a complete um, splot. It looks horrible uh, and it has for sale signs. If they would have done what we wanted to do, there would be brand new gray paint on it and all the work would be done on, on the back end. So the next thing you'd see is the actual spaceship when it's done. Plus it would have been, um, you know, financing uh, 501c3s throughout the community for years to come. So it's a little short-sighted. Is it, is it a better thing for Reno to get the $1.7 million as we speak? Heck yeah, nobody can disagree with that. Is it, a, is it a good play when we're sitting here 30 years from now? I think it's a little short-sighted decision by them to take the money. Because if they wouldn't have taken the 1.7 now, and that's what's difficult about being a politician because all the city council members are sitting there going, I'm gonna be judged not on the, all the things this building can create in 30 years, but what I'm doing with it right now. You know, so if they don't sell it for 1.7 million right now, they might not, you know, that might be a problem in, in the election right now yeah. or the next year. So it's just too bad that they don't have the, um, I don't know if it would be guts, but foresight to look at it and go, I'm not gonna be on the city council when this all turns out to be a good thing. You know, I might not be. It, this, this, if these guys are gonna build this basketball facility and impact youth, it might take, you know, 10 years before I see one of those youth pop out on the other side and become a productive part of society. I'm not gonna be on the council for that. I'm not gonna see the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they pass out to other charities around town. None of that is gonna happen in the next two years. And I only wanna be on the council for the next two years. You, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's just, it's but that's, not, that's the, not the right way to look at it. The right it way, isn't. It, it's a horrible way to look at right it. The right way to look at it Always is that if you're going to call play. us America's playground, right. then we ought to have some places to play. Yep. And there's not many in Reno for kids to go, like you talked about last time, the standing in line. We're getting a population that we are have outgrown our resources. And that it's not like you're trying to go and build another golf course and tear up more land, which there's two sides of that story. Right. It's an existing building yeah. that's in a part of Reno that needs to be cleaned up. They're they're sitting on the 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 the, the analogy of hey we we're going to make some money on this deal, but the dividends that it could be paying until they sell that building it's already been on the market for too long, oh. and now the dividends that they could be making with something that the establishment that you guys that you and Gary were going to put in there that just makes more sense to me in the long run. Absolutely. What, what are they going to do with the one point seven million dollars? What are they going to do with it? They 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 are going to do another project like Midtown. They're going to keep adding on to making the downtown area better, hopefully. But there is so much that needs to be cleaned up down there. And if they have willing participants willing to do it, that's what they need to be listening to. Because I'll say it again. I told I told my ex-wife today, I said, look, I don't like going to the AAA baseball game. She's like, you're over, you're over. I'm like, no, I'm not. I was just down there for lunch the other day, right by the stadium. Oh. And it was with you. Oh. And I'm like, it's a dump, dude. 
there ain't, I ain't holding no car. It's not good for me. It, I, and I get involved, get it cleaned up. Well, what can I do? What can I do? If you're sitting here telling me that you want to get involved and you want to clean part of the area up, it's not too far from that area. And they're telling you, no, we want to make the profit on it. Again, there's two sides of that because they do have the right to make the money on it. Business sense tells them that political yeah. sense tells them that, but human spirit side says, Hey, let's invest some money in this and let's let this thriving business and figure out a plan for you guys to keep ingesting money into that part of Reno at the same time, taking care of the youth and making our community leaders stronger for the future. The worst thing was they made us sit around the council meeting all day before they told us they had a buyer. Really? Oh, so you had to sit through all of it. It's like, you know, I got, come on. I mean, we, we know the council members. It's like, guys, you got to tell us that the second we walk in. I mean, that's not going to go away. No, never. So it was. It was brutal. Who, but who, we lived to fight another day just because of that, just because we were there all so day. So you got a plan they, B. Well, they'll owe us a favor now. I mean, you know, it's like there's other properties that they, they you know, part of the thing that they said that day is um, this building isn't a go, but this day does not end. We will find a spot for this. Neoma said that. Neoma you know, said we will today's not the day it's not going to be this building it's not the right opportunity but we will find a spot we will find land we'll figure this out well that's good you know yeah it's it's good but that was just perfect you know we were kind of like hey that's the per- this is the perfect spot what do you want us to do you want us to go through this process again and then get told of the, you know so if they do bring another opportunity along to gary then we'll have to sit down and look at that and analyze it and see you know how we would probably have to know that there's a 98% chance that this is going to get pushed through before we went through what we went through last time. So how long have you been married to Chris? You know, 15, 15, 15 years. years together, 18. Yeah. What's the, per, what's the perfect, and you can't have your backyard and you can't have your house or your personal property or in, in this oh, perfect. and your kids aren't involved in this. What's the perfect Reno date night right now? And I'm asking for real, like you take your wife out. What are you going to do? What is an, what is a man in his forties in Reno going to do with his lovely wife and where, where do you go? What do you do? And how do you make that night memorable in Reno? What is there? What does Reno offer a local couple that's been together 20 years? Well, there's this new thing called Uber. Yeah. Unbelievable. You can meet the nicest Uber drivers. That's, so, so you I call like, Uber. I feel like I'm an 80-year-old because literally half the time we do get a date night, which is few and far in between. We end up having so much fun with our Uber drivers. It's like part of the date. You know, they take us down to dinner or whatever, and we have fun getting their life story on the way down there. And then we have dinner and uh, it, there's a ton of fun stuff to do in Reno. There's a bunch of great restaurants. Um, Tell me where. Bunch of or Louis Bass Corner. Uh, so your date night, you go to Louis. Well, not not exactly. We'll we'll we will actually go to Pinocchio's Bar and Grill. We'll go to uh, John Little Johnny's um, is one of our faves. We will go to uh, oh, man. Bistro. Yeah, Bistro is a good one. Um, and then you know, bringing up the the uh, Midtown area. That actually is a fun area to just kind of get dropped off there and go from place to place with their fancy cocktails with the, uh, I can't remember the name of the place, the uh, uh, chapel and- um, I like that place. 20, uh, 21 Amendment, Amendment 21. Um, they're, they're, Have you been to Death and Taxes? Yeah, that's what I meant actually. Yeah, Death and Taxes. Is that place cool? I've never been oh, there. It's a great one. It's got great ambiance. It's, it's, it's a cool Have spot. Have you been to the joint yeah. across the street called uh, the pizza place? It's called yes. Uh, uh, it's, I can't remember what it's called. It's come great. on. It's come great. On, uh, the, what is the place uh, called? Not the pin. Um, we got to give them some props because I, I was told 
by five people in one week, Melanie being one of them. Yeah, they're, they're best wings that you've ever eaten in your life. Great wings, great fries, uh, great. They have a great meatball sandwich that my son loves. What um, is the name of that place? It's it something is. pizza. Yeah. Mid. Uh, gosh, dang it! Here I go with this freaking no. dead air again. There's some great spots down in Midtown, though. That actually is a fun thing to do to to tool around there and walk around before you meet your next Uber driver. <laughs> it is. It's a pinion, right? What pinion pizza? No, pinion is the restaurant next door. Oh, okay. It's uh, Noble Pie. Noble Pie. I had to Good go call. back in my notes with Melanie. Noble Pie with an. She's like, you have to go try these wings at Noble Pie. So I, I had a buddy come in from California the other night, and I said, let's go t- try this. And I, and uh, I'm really, really critical of wings like they're the easiest things to mess oh, up yeah. in my opinion no, and too. dude they're good they got freaking good wings noble with a k <laughs> i went to the university in uh, nevada where the n stands for knowledge really yeah. so you got noble with a k huh <laughs> have you have you have you have you figured out how to work a traeger yet i need a traeger bad yeah, i'm figuring maybe if i go on this show enough i might get a traeger sponsor yeah. you just be like i, need, I got a weber sitting next i got a perfect oh no perfect spot for my traeger because once i get a traeger i'll never use a weber again yeah you can't i mean but i gotta i gotta see what i can do from from well, you on this traeger. i invited yeah. you out here for dinner on uh saturday and i'm gonna traeger my ass off well i hope i can make it over the hill on time i got that basketball in sacramento and then uh, if i can make it here on time i'd love to who is the number one i have to ask you this because it's important to me because i've been watching a lot of stand-up comedy I want to be a stand-up comedian. Oh, you got a chance. No, I don't. All you need is good jokes. (laughs) Yeah, but who's the number one of all time, in your opinion, that you like watching? Of all time? Yeah. Oh, that's easy. Who? Well, I guess it's not that easy anymore, but Eddie Murphy. Oh, my God, I love you. I I just watched Delirious Ann Raw this week. Yeah, he's... I I can't... I I wish he would... He's, like, literally done for life, he says. I mean, he could make a trillion dollars if he went out for another stand-up. Okay, put this in context now. Here's Mm -hmm. where I was going with this, and I'm so glad you said Eddie Murphy, because I started investigating when I was, like, watching Delirious the other day. I'm like, that's Mike Tyson's career. He was was 21 years old when he did the Delirious tour and 22 when he filmed Delirious. I never thought about that. He filmed he filmed the other one at Raw when he was 26. Think about being 22 years old. It doesn't wow. happen. Bill Burr's filming his specials at 45 and 50. Oh yeah. Rogan's 52. Eddie Murphy was 22 when he filmed Delirious. That's and crazy. his career goes the same way. All this notoriety, all this fame, another 48 hours, 48 hours, Beverly Hills Cop 1, 2, and 3. He's got all these movies. Busted. Kids movies. That's no more great, rated R movies. That's a good call. That's I never thought of it like that. I'm being that's for real. Good. Think no, about that's not, it. He was true. on top of the world wearing leather right. with every girl, every HBO special, every nightclub. Right. At the end of Delirious, he's walking back and the camera follows him into the dressing room and he finally takes his coat off. He's got an eight pack of abs and he goes, Hey, tell the boy, tell uh some tell uh tell whatever his name is. He goes, find out what club we going to tonight. Twenty-two years old, he's going to a nightclub after he just films arguably the number one comedy routine of all time. Humana, 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 humana. <laughs> hey, boy. But, dude, you listen to his jokes and his, and when he does oh, Elvis, we got to win this race. It's unreal. like so dead on his impressions. And 22 years old, he was the number one comedian in the world at 22. That's and sh- incredible. The shit doesn't happen like that. I never looked at like that. It like that. And, never... then his, and then his career goes, he gets, he doesn't go to jail for rape, but he gets busted for a, a weird deal. Yeah. And then what? He, I don't remember that. I think it was a transvestite in a car soliciting prostitution that was a trans i don't know i I think that i'm right 
I think that I'm right. You got to look that up. But he got busted for something. That's a hell of a thing to throw out and say, I think I'm right. I don't know. Maybe transvestite in a car. I think I'm right. I think it was soliciting prostitution with a a transvestite or something. Oh, no. Actually, it was he stole an ice cream cone. Never mind. (laughs) I got some ice cream. (laughs) I got some ice. So you're saying I should have a better fact checker? Yeah. Well, let's see. Well, let's not. (laughs) Let's. But think about that career, Scotty. No, that's incredible. Why? I never thought okay, about that. Okay, then why else would Freddie Mer- why why else would Freddie Mercury? I just watched Bohemian Rhapsody, hell of a movie. I watched Green Book, Bohemian. I don't watch movies, and I took this week and I just said, you know what? I'm freaking un getting disconnected. I'm gonna watch some movies. I watched Green Book, who won Oscar. Yeah. I watched. That's the one with uh, the singer, the piano Freddie. player. No, Bohemian Rhapsodies with Queen, oh, the singer. Yeah. So that was an unreal movie. I watched that Green Book, and then I watched A Star Is Born with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Oh, and nice. dude, that's a badass movie. But I don't think it was as good as Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, I I I am trying to tell you that Eddie Murphy. So basically, your last three movies have been the same three movies as every thirteen-year-old girl in America. <laughs> no, Green Book's a mature movie. Oh, is it? Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? I have no idea what it's about. Well, it's about, uh, let me tell you a little bit about how I perceived it. And you tell me, and I want you to go watch it. This, uh, this African-American piano player, he's a PhD, but he is known as a piano genius. He plays unlike anybody else. And it's back in the twenties and third, no, back in the forties and fifties. I mean, he's amazing. This Italian guy that's got a reputation of being able to hold himself down, you know, like when it don't gets tough, he'll put you in your place kind of guy, right? right? Well, this black piano player gets word that this guy is here. So he asked him to come to his office. He goes, he says, I'd like to hire you to be my driver for my South, my Southern tour through Carolinas and Alabama and all these, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas and all these places where segregation was huge. So this Italian American played by... Vito Mortensen, who's not Italian. I thought he was. He's Danish and American. I'm like, this dude plays a badass Italian. Like, you ought to see how good he is in it. Anyway, this whole movie is this this white guy watching how this black man is treated oh. in, in America at the time. And it completely is about human spirit. And it shows how he, he goes from just being this driver to being an intimate friend with this cat. And he would go to places and get hired to play the piano for all these white dignitaries and they'd go into the restaurant to eat dinner before and they'd say, you can't come in here. And he'd be like, but I'm the head attraction tonight. You're paying me to play. He's like, you can, you can play the piano for all of us after we eat, but you cannot eat in here. There's a restaurant down the street. You need to go down there. They serve your kind. And I'm like, Holy shit. Could you imagine like having that? Okay. I got it up, dude. Eddie Murphy was stopped by police with a transsexual right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but now you're now you're treating it like it's breaking news. No, this was nineteen. 19. This was this was back in the day. Um, he said he was just being a good Samaritan when he was pulled over. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Think about that career. <laughs> Think about being Eddie Murphy and being able to be That's that crazy. good on stage at 21, 22 years old. That's amazing. Are we ever going to see this kind of thing again? Is there anybody that's close right now? Like, are we going to see another phenomenon? Tiger Woods, is there any golfer right now? And I don't know golf. I don't know if you do. Is there any of these guys that are winning? The guys that are winning when Tiger was on his downfall? Are they the celebrity? Are they having the prowess that Tiger did? Is anybody ever going to have the prowess that Michael Jordan did? I don't think LeBron's ever had it. You know basketball, Baron. I know you love LeBron James, but... Eddie Murphy, Mike Tyson, will we ever see anybody come in at 20 years old and take over the world to where everybody's talking about them? Yeah, I think so. It's just a matter of, you know, I think you're hitting on some key points there. I mean, 
Um, Tiger did it at an early age. The, the thing that's been missed with Tiger coming back is all these guys that have won since Tiger's been back are a byproduct of Tiger. They don't look like golfers. They all lift like he did. They all run like he did. They're all in fabulous shape. You know, Tiger invented all that kind of, I mean, uh, golfers used to look a little strange before Tiger. You know, you'd see guy, some guy up there trying on the green jacket and it's a size 54, you know? Um, <laughs> John Tiger, yeah, Tiger, Tiger kind of changed all that. Now these kids out there are just ripped and in good shape. Nobody's been able to do what he did when he was gone. You know, Brooks Kepra won, I think, two out of the last five majors now. But now that he's back, it's going to be so fun to watch all the people that were trying to, oh, uh, Jordan Spieth could be the next Tiger. Well, he's fallen off the radar. He hasn't done anything in two years. Rory McIlroy could be the next Tiger. I mean, you know, they, we're always so quick to try to find the next Tiger. People need to understand there is no next Tiger. You know, he, that's a once-in-a-lifetime athlete. You know, maybe there might be another Tiger, not in my lifetime. You know, maybe not in our kids' Will lifetime. there ever be another Eddie Murphy? Oh, yeah. Really? Sure. A maybe. Twi- name mean, one. Name one since. Uh, maybe not. Maybe there probably won't be. There probably won't be because of the mediums. You know what I mean? Think about that. With, when Eddie Murphy was coming out, you could get and You'd only be able to watch him on HBO or go by the VHS. Or, so there's two controlled medias. I don't. I think it's it's a lot. He had a live tour that sold out every night, right? And he had a, mo- a motion picture after it in a theater. Yeah, it's just tough to. I think it'll be tough for you know. Those are very controlled. You're meetings. right because now Netflix has got all these comedians that sign these long term deals. Like Dave Chappelle is a genius, right? But Dave Chappelle yeah. wasn't 19. Maybe he was. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm such a huge fan. When you said Eddie Murphy, I'm like, dude. Oh, it's oh, he, excuse me. It's all no, right. It's but when you said Murphy. Eddie Murphy, I'm like, dude, he's the best comedian. He's better than Carlin. He's better. Oh. He's better than Pryor. Oh, easy. he was amazing. But it was so short lived. Yeah. It was here. He is gone. Here's Tyson gone. I think that's that's part of the genius of it too. You know that's that's getting part out. Of it. Yeah, getting out. And and now here You've we are. You've never seen a so so Eddie Murphy special. Exactly. You know, that's a great never, point. You know, so, a, but we deserve another one. Oh, I concur. He's but got it's a great material. point because I watch Bill Burr's new one. and I love Bill Burr. Like he's my favorite comedian going today. Oh. Irish from freaking yeah. Boston. Oh, he's genius. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to throw that word around, but his comedy is like wow. And then I watch his new one, and it takes me a minute. I'm like. You got the juice. Have Eddie Murphy work your uh, birthday party this year. <laughs> Have him do a stand-up. Go, hey, bud, I know you, you'd be you'd be the only guy in America that can talk to him. Uh, yeah, uh, you just call him and say, hey, Eddie, Chad Belding here. How you doing, stud? <laughs> hey, you still coming to my birthday party? <laughs> do this for me. I know you haven't done stand-up in 20 years because you think your material sucks. Trust me, it doesn't suck that bad. Do the material you yeah. have. For I got me and this my aunt. I got this aunt bunny Eddie oh. that I want you to come and roast a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely, it'd be perfect. Oh Lord Jesus, help me! I'm falling. Oh Lord Jesus, <laughs> yeah. that's that ain't a fire. Now that's a fire. Yeah, that's Get fire. your brother, roll him around. You want to eat? Don't you want to eat? <laughs> she, 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 she's she's a Bigfoot, isn't she, Gus? <laughs> I took your kids fishing, Gus. They both put their pools down, stuck their heads in the water, both come up with fish. They drop the fish. They look at me, Gus, and they say, "Goonie goo goo." <laughs> Dude, look at us. We're laughing our asses off. And it's, dude, that was in 1983 or 84 or something. Anyway, this has been another uh, episode. I sit here and do this. I, I love talking about comedy. I love talking about iconic people that have come in and just, and we, we, we don't know them all. We don't know everything that goes into being a stand-up comic, comic. But when you hear two people that are in their mid forties that are white, that, that have, you know, got our careers going on and we both look at each other and go Eddie Murphy. And then we can both quote that, that comedy special from how, I mean, how long has that been? 1982. How many oh, years yeah. is that? 
I mean, it's almost 40 years ago. It is 40 years ago, right? Close, 38 years ago. So anyway, this life ain't for everybody. Scott Shaleen, Nevada Insurance Agency. I love talking with him. He's got a special talent on the microphone. When are you going to start your own podcast? Are you going to do it? No, buddy. This is way too good for me. You're too. This is this is perfect. I've, I actually went through and listened to all your stuff while I did it before I came on last time. You're doing a hell of a job. You got good Thank guests. You. Uh, I don't count myself among those. No, guys. you are. But uh, let's no, get Hendo I'm up here and do it. one with Hendo together. Oh, I would love that. You talk to Plus, I could show him a few things, and you know, yeah. I mean, you know, one of my one of my buddies, I introduced him to Hendo. A little Hendo story. Curious. We're have we're at Nobu Sushi in Vegas, and I got some some of our partners around. We're at this big, right. like fourteen seat table, right? A big round, right? And here comes one of my buddies that's late, and he's he was a wrestler, and he thinks that, you know, it's one of those things where it's Dan Hendo. I better make sure that he knows I was a wrestler. So he sits down, he goes, Hendo. And Hendo kind of ignores him because he's in conversation. He goes, Hendo. Hendo looks up, he goes, yeah. Hendo's never met this dude. Right. First takedown gets that last piece of yellowtail. And Hendo goes, really? (laughs) (laughs) He He just looks at him and goes, Really? And it goes right back to his conversation. I'm like, holy shit, dude. That's one of the worst big leagues I've ever seen. And Hendo's not a big leaguer. But you don't go to Dan Hendo in a sushi restaurant and tell him that first takedown gets the last piece of yellowtail. You know how many times Hendo's been told he's going to be taken down or beat up in a fight? Or uh, Let me tell you something, Scotty. I, I had a reservation at 8 o'clock at Nobu with some of the partners, like I'm saying. We were at the center bar at the Hard Rock Hotel with at no, uh, getting ready to go into the sushi joint. It took 25 minutes to go 40 feet. And every single person that stopped him, hey champ, can I get a picture? Can I get can I get a selfie? He did not tell one of them no. He sat there and signed that's people. Such, he waited for people when they would when they'd be digging in their purses with their their wife was trying to find an ink pen to sign a piece of napkin for him. That's the test of a truth. That's He's awesome. He's a stud. That's man. awesome. I, well, love I can't him. wait to meet him. So when you said I we can't. got some good guests, like Mendez okay. just called me. We talked about Mendez last time. Me and Mendez are getting ready to announce this big partnership that we're going in together with another Chad, Chad Ward at Whiskey Bent Barbecue. Sweet. And I and I get the I get to mingle with these guys that when you go out in public with them you're like you're a freaking celebrity dude like you are known and vegas is a fight town let's not oh absolutely and, but hendo says it's, dude when i'm when 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 you're over in japan dude they're like oh, walking on imagine. water I when can't. pride was big he yeah. goes it was unreal oh, I can't. It, but to have him come to my house and stay here and oh. be at barbecues and be at this table i'm just humbled by it and people are like well who the hell's dan henderson he's just a fighter he's not just a fighter he represented america in the olympics as a oh. wrestler greco-roman wrestler oh. he is a great person great businessman a great friend he's just a and he's a celebrity mm-hmm. he's he's arguably one of the best mma draws of all time dan henderson but anyway Absolutely. we're going off on well i'll get him up here we'll i'll have you in love it we to start doing something where you come in a couple times a month and be like i like it and we kick back and forth with another guest and get That'd be perfect i'm going next wednesday i go to sacramento to with uriah no love um clay guida uh, chad mendez josh emmett who just had an unreal victory in the ufc and sage northcutt who just signed that big deal with with one championship that left the UFC? He trains at he trains down at Alpha Male in Sacramento with Uriah, and Uriah just had his baby. So I talked to Uriah a day before yesterday, and he's like, "Yeah, let's put it together where you come down and you just set up right in the gym. That'd be perfect. And you just have That'd all these excellent. the fighters will be training. They'll come sit down with me for an hour and talk about what they're doing and 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 what's upcoming for them and all that shit. So no, if you think I'm good as a guest, you should have me in the Artie chair. Yeah, we need to. That's what I'm saying. Oh, we need I'll to have a little. Unreal we, that's chair. what I'm saying. If you, but you 
did, you just can't, if we, we should schedule some out to where you come in and, and, and be part of that. Cause the commentary, the color, the uh-huh. play by play, I, I love somebody like Alex Crosby and you to be in here, be, be like, Hey boy, uh-huh. yeah. Hey boy. <laughs> just like those little things. Dude. Like there's so much culture in what we've experienced in life. People deserve to hear it. And, and I'm not saying that everything that we've done is what you need to do. I'm just saying like knowing that Dan Henderson sat at that table and looked at that and went, really? Like you're going to tell me that first day that just should, that kind of stuff's hilarious to me. But anyway, I know you got to go. Good luck with the project you're still working on. Good luck this weekend in, in California in the basketball tournament. And, um, Thanks, that sorry. ain't no McDonald's burger, mom. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a house burger. He goes, he goes, I, 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 I take a missile pop. I take, I take an almond cone. I, I take a, I, and then you get your ice cream and I got some ice and you ain't got none. Cause your daddy's an alcoholic and you, and you, and you, and your mama's on welfare. <laughs> Dude, I laugh. I was crying, like sitting on my couch, just dying laughing. Oh, but Eddie Murphy, you are the man. I hope I love all your movies from back in the eighties and the early nineties. I don't know about Nutty Professor and Daddy Daycare and, no. and Dr. Doolittle. Those are good kids movies, but he was also the voice of one of the characters in Shrek. I think the donkey. The donkey. Yeah, he's awesome donkey. for that. He's hilarious, oh, dude. Classic. He's one of the funniest human classic. beings of all time. Oh, absolutely. He was absolutely genius in his stand-up. So if you haven't seen Delirious or Raw and you're of age and, you, and you're allowed to listen to some profanity, those are two stand-ups that I highly recommend. I also highly recommend Bill Burr's, all of them. The last one's a little, you got to really be on your A game to get it, but his first four amazing so bill burr you the man and uh i'd also like to give a big shout out again to the nawtc north american whitetail championships thank you all so much for your support of this life ain't for everybody podcast and get signed up nawtc.com 14 regions across america and canada all archery all whitetail you got a chance to qualify and win 50 thousand dollars and it only costs 300 to get signed up and you get an awesome prize package valued it over that from the get-go so north american whitetail championships thank you very much this episode's also brought to you by yukonuba dog food the best dog food in the business look at it treat your dog whether he's a hunting dog or not make sure he's getting the right diet yukonuba takes care of all of the duck dogs here at the foul life and banded and we couldn't be more pleased with the results we're getting and last but not least rob roberts custom Gunworks in arkansas Rob, you know who you are. You know what you do for us. And you are an absolute mad scientist when it comes to everything guns. And our guns are performing better than ever with your choke tube, uh, your choke tube performance, the, the constrictions that you're getting us, the patterning that you're getting us, and the pro shop guns that you're building for Benelli are absolutely badass. So thank you, Rob Roberts, Custom Gunworks. Check out his work either on his website or the Benelli website and their pro shop, their turkey guns or their waterfowl guns the M220 gauge or the SBE3 Super Black Eagle 3 performance shot by Rob Roberts. Thank you all very much for the support of This Life Ain't For Everybody. I'm Chad Belding for Scott Shaleen. We will see you next time. Tom, go ahead and hit that button on Leith Lofton, a.k.a. Haas. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? without a soul Life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone?